Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Recap, the Escapist Weekly Live show about the latest in movies, TV, and streaming. This is episode number 27 for Tuesday, March 21st. My name is Marty Saliva, and joining me from empty screenings of Shazam! Fury of the Gods, Darren Mooney, and it's Frost. How are you guys doing? Uh, I, for the record, I wasn't there. <laughs> I was I was not. And if you were no, and if you were, nobody saw you, which is grand. I was at a extremely empty screening of Shazam: Fury of the Gods this weekend. So uh, I feel really bad because I do not like that movie, but it still feels unfair. Like somehow (laughs) I I don't I don't like the movie, but it's I still feel bad for what's happening. That's the thing is I don't I didn't enjoy it, but I don't think it deserves to be the punching the one yeah that like Black Adam was yeah Uh, yeah. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome. Uh, Nick is covering uh, GDC in San Francisco with Yahtzee, so Frost is filling in, and we have an excellent show for you today. Uh, we will talk about the aforementioned uh, Shazam, less in terms of a big review and more of um, its its uh, underwhelming opening, and some of the fascinating things, the responses from both the director and some of the stars, which I've really liked. <laughs> like I've really enjoyed how they're handling this um, compared to a lot of the bullshit we see uh, surrounding these things. Uh, also, uh, Jordan Peele's new movie uh, got a date, and that is all. And yes. from there, we will speculate. Uh, also, a bunch of bits of Star Wars news, including uh, Academy Award winners The Daniels from Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, directing an episode of the upcoming Skeleton Crew. And as you can see from our uh, art, the main topic is going to be uh, the fact that three major shows, I would say three of the defining series of the last five years or so, are all about to enter their or have entered or are about to enter their final seasons in uh, Ted Lasso, Succession uh and barry and uh, we're gonna talk less about like what we expect from them or spoilers or anything like that and more of how in an age of eternal content um it's kind of uh it's kind of nice to just have three things that are that are walking out on their own two feet uh which is an interesting because i didn't realize last time the three of us were together on the show we talked about that seinfeld nothing well nothing forever was that what it was called (laughs) yeah yeah, and so this is kind of an interesting uh, 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 pairing with that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how are how are you guys doing? Happy Happy Tuesday. Uh, happy Tuesday. You guys doing well? I've made it through most of the MCU. <laughs> I I've made it. I've got my second win, so I could finally finish off. But uh, yeah, no, it's just been a oh. marathon on me. Okay. I, 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 can, can I ask? Right. So when you say second wind, right? So does it go? Does your enthusiasm go in phases, as it were? Like, were you peaking at, like, Avengers and then kind of dipping through the sequels, through, like, Winter Soldier, through, like, uh, Dark World? Were you up on phase three? And when you say you're almost through, like, where are you? Are you on the cusp of phase four, which, to be clear, is, like, 50 hours long? I don't I don't even know the phases, Darren. That's how it works. <laughs> I finished Endgame. Oh, you sweet summer child. Oh, you, you finished Endgame. Finished you are Endgame. End and I went, what a wonderful place to finish off. How many more do I have left? Eight. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so and you're just TV sticking shows. to the movies. Okay. You're not going to do. Yeah, TV I'm not shows. doing the shows or the one show okay. or the comic books. That's healthy. That's healthy. So yeah, you only have eight movies left, um, which range from a uh, bad to. Uh, <laughs> in my mind. Bad to Darren liked it. Um, I think it's the scale. <laughs> bad to yeah. some of the fight scenes in Shang Chi were cool. Yeah, we'll get to. <laughs> it was those. cool when he fights on a bus. And we'll get to those in the uh, what, what have we done segment. But yeah. I'm alive. That's how was your Tuesday? What I have lived. We done? I survived. Yeah. <laughs> what have we done? I do like that. Every time you're gonna pop on the show, it's gonna be like, "What is your new obsession?" Oh yeah, like what, what is? Yeah, we we. Uh, 
uh, Darren, were you here for his Kenneth Branagh obsession? He wasn't. And my no. and my Nolan, I was talking Tenet. Oh yeah, we were talking oh, wow. Tenet. Was oh, good, oh, good oh yeah, all right. No, I mean yeah. I got the Will Smith. I was there for Will Smith, obviously. Will Smith, yeah. Yeah. Kenneth Branagh and his love of Kenneth Branagh is what got him to the MCU. He's like, I'll check out this Thor film. No, that wasn't probably. What <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I did say he directed those. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I give you one. Uh, I'm excited. I love to all see those where, Dutch angles. Love all I'm those Dutch angles. Excited to see where we go from here. Um, because with Darren, you're you're about to head off on holiday in like a week. Um, I, I am. Yeah, which yeah. is great. So I'm I'm kind of scrambling to get all my stuff done. I've literally literally as you rang me, I was halfway through the current episode of The Mandalorian. That's mm. that's how close to the wire I am. Mm. So I have opinions up to like minute 26 of this episode mm. of uh, The Mandalorian. Um but yeah, no, it's it, it's good. I'm trying to get stuff squared away. I'm trying to see as many screenings as I can. Try to get through as many TV screeners as I can to kind of make sure that there's, you know, Life will continue on without me and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, but just the, to make the sure ghost that... of Darren, the force ghost of Darren, <laughs> yes. will still be present uh, on the website. So no worries yes. for that. You'll never know he was yeah. gone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and plus, you just got to have a screening that uh, the, the embargo dropped that movie. Yeah, because there's reviews, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. so we got about yeah. that. Um, mm. You you got a chance to see John Wick four, so we'll chat about I that in, uh, in the uh, in the back half of the episode when we talk about stuff we've been watching and Lampy. Thank you so much for a five pound donation. Really appreciate it, Lampy. I see Frost is in his chef outfit today. Been making smash burgers with your signature <laughs> method. Oh no. It's it's laundry day, Lampy. <laughs> Whatever I find that's still clean, I will wear as everything else is being clean. This is why you don't have a hash. I feel like it's a hat yeah. really ties it together. With a little raccoon underneath it? With a, little, a raccoon? With the raccoon cooey? Raccoon raccoony, yeah. raccoon. I, I don't know how many syllables. I may have left the yeah. syllable out of that. Yeah. Or out of yeah. yeah. Um, we'll start with a couple news bits. Uh, so Jordan Peele's uh, fourth film has been set. It is December 25th, 2023, uh, 2024. I actually wrote 2023. That's, that can't be true. <laughs> it has to be 2024. <laughs> There's no way that movie's out this fall. Uh, it's coming out Christmas Day, uh, December 2024th. Which is uh, uh, a bad Christmas miracle to go along the the if Nope is about bad miracles, I'm, this will be about Christmas miracles. Uh, I do and not also think coming this... out opposite Avatar, Avatar four, Avatar three, in it. It's coming Avatar out opposite Avatar three, three in theory. Like there's a, I think there's a non-zero chance Avatar does not come out that year. <laughs> Although, like I don't think I think it is clear Avatar will come out given <laughs> how much money it made, but. Um, uh, I so, think Marty, this is... are, are you going on the record betting against Jim Cameron? He oh, hasn't seen it yet. No, how? Yeah. <laughs> I've already went all in. I've already went all in. And again, I know, I, I understand that I've, I went to see two movies over the weekend in Shazam and Scream. None of them were Avatar. Still, <laughs> Avatar is still in the theaters. Is it? Okay. I was like, you know what you should do? You should, you should just not see the way of water ever and just go and see the Fire Tribe or whatever it is the next one is and see how easy you are following it. There's uh, Desmond on the character on Lost, one of my favorite characters. Uh, he he read. Uh, he was obsessed with Charles Dickens, and he kept a copy of the book Our Mutual Friend with him. And it was the only Charles Dickens book he never read because he said he wanted it to be the last book he ever read in his life. So maybe that's what I'm doing with um, with Avatar. Two. I, did he die? I love that you was. What was that? Did he die before reading it? What happened? Uh, he started time traveling. <laughs> oh, as you do. To be honest, I don't know if he ever got a chance to read it. I, w- I would also like like to imagine the scenario that Marty's in, where he's like, "Well, this is it. I only have three solid hours." 
I mean, they could and be a like, 3D projector. I mean, when it's like, oh, uh, global warming. Uh, oh, it turns out climate change is irreversible. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the water levels are rising and we have like, uh, you know, three hours left to live. I'm like, there you go. Hop on Disney Plus. <laughs> Hit play. Do you, you think the Disney Plus servers will still be working? I'm sure it'll be available in hospice care, yeah. And yeah. you just see in the last three hours, and as you're fading, you go, good Jim. Good old Jim. Yeah, good. you did good Jim. Did Not as good, good as the first one, but still pretty good. <laughs> so it's all right. Kill over. Um... In terms of uh, the date of this Jordan Peele movie, uh, I do not think it will be a holiday movie. However, its date makes me think um, they want that Oscar. Ah. This Ooh, feels like an yeah. Oscar date. Right. Um, yeah. Although, given everything everywhere all at once premiered at South by Southwest and then came out in like April, I don't oh. know if that whole Christmas thing works anymore. But in the traditional sense, uh, holiday holiday releases between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas um, were sort of earmarked for Oscar movies. Although that's become that's also become a big blockbuster time. Avatar, Star Wars movies were releasing in the holidays. Uh, Spider Man, No Way Home, Dune. Um, so yeah, Darren, do you do you can you can you read any tea leaves from this? No, I mean, you mentioned the Oscar thing. That does feel like kind of what this is. I do think it probably will be something Christmassy related, if only because they're announcing it this far out. They're not saying like it's coming in fall or it's coming in winter. They're saying it's coming on Christmas Eve, which makes me think that Peel's like, no, I have what's going to be a movie that will play probably very well as counter-programming. I suspect he's betting on something similar to say what like wolf of wall street or django Unchained did like remember yeah. before star wars like colonized christmas for blockbusters and it used to be at christmas you get this weird like counter programming thing that would perform surprisingly well like david fincher's the girl with the dragon tattoo, dragon tattoo. the feel yeah. the feel bad movie of christmas feel- I, I do think you're on to <laughs> best that's advertising campaign ever yeah yeah no mm. of christmas i think i think it was specifically the feel bad Incredible. movie of christmas yeah the trailer is a step go back watch the trailer with the immigrant song and the camera song, pushing yeah. up the driveway it's incredible what i would say um is that i think that you're you're right about the oscar stuff i don't know I think like you got to keep in mind that Peels established himself as like an awards caliber filmmaker based on like Get Out, which did phenomenally well, obviously won him the Oscar for screenplay as well, but got a Best Picture nomination despite Mm -hmm. again releasing quite early in the year and being a genre film. It does feel like because, again, we've had people quite rightly say Lupita Nyong'o deserved an Oscar nomination at the very least for her work in Us and like. Nope was one of the big movies that people felt was left out completely of the awards conversation. Absurd. Not just like, yeah. yeah. So it does feel a little bit like Universal, like, no, this guy is kind of, you know, he's one of the guys we're grooming with our with Nolan now in terms of our, like, cadre of auteurist directors. This yeah. does feel a bit like we're putting him in the slot we put Spielberg in this year. That's a statement of purpose, particularly Ooh, after, yeah. as you mentioned, uh-huh. Nope is the space in which Nope is obviously Jaws, but with, like, clouds. Jaws yeah. meets close encounters. With clouds. Is that not Sharknado then? <laughs> do you think he's already going, made that movie? Yeah, do you think he's going for a high batting oh. average the way Tarantino obsesses over it, where he goes, I've got that I've got a pretty good filmography aside from uh, Death Proof, where he says I am pretty much as hit for hit for hit. And that's kind of why he's so obsessed with ending it, Ten. which which was just an uh, announcement yeah. where he's like, I want a high essentially win ratio, basically. Yeah, but, I mean, he's been saying that for so long, though, is that he only wants to make 10 movies and until he's was 60. I think he's about to turn 60. And so, yeah, yeah, which uh, I I guess we I didn't have that written down. But, yeah, supposedly his his final film is going to be called The Film Critic. 
Pauline Kael. Oh, everyone thinks it's going to be a period piece about Pauline Kael and her, her time in the studio system, which... Oh. What? <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, I'm, listen, Tarantino has earned... Like, he, he's in that, that, you know, with with the aforementioned Nolan and Peel of, like, you do whatever you want, I'm probably going to enjoy it. Um, <laughs> that definitely made me go, what? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the... The one life we need captured on film. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. Like up there with the, the biopics of like Princess Diana, Jackie yeah. Kennedy, um, Gandhi, like all, all the greats, Pauline Kale. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, it, just them. I do remember that. And we started trending more towards like now the biopic of Elton John. And it's like, wait, is he, is he still alive? Yeah. Um, wait, he's a producer. And, and, and he's consulting on it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, this, so this anything's up for grabs now. He's, yeah. he's written the outro song for his biography. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, popular biopics, uh, Shazam. Which was a, a, bi- a biopic of what was his name? Billy Bart? Billy Batson. Billy Batson. Talking about Batson averages, eh? Oh, that's really good. Batson averages, really good. Uh, Shazam uh, was the number one movie at the box office this weekend. However, uh, and a complete States- victory. We, we're going to cut that sentence off right yeah. there. We're going to call it a win. Fox quote. <laughs> put, it, <laughs> put it put it on the posters, Warner Brothers. Uh, however, it only opened to uh, thirty million dollars uh, here in the U.S. Uh, and also underperformed globally. Uh, that's compared to in twenty nineteen, the original made fifty three million. Um, and, uh, so there's been a lot of talk over like, what was this? Like the movie didn't get eviscerated critically. Um, uh, you know, I, percent, I think is it? Yeah. Yeah. Which so is just shy of fresh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And which isn't, it's, it's, it's not, it wasn't like dunked on the way like Morbius was dunked on or anything like that. Oh, that so um, good. however, with some, uh, yeah, there's a few movies are, uh, <laughs> it's been kind of fascinating to see the response from certain people. Uh, the director, uh, David F. Sandberg, uh, coming out and kind of saying that like, I got paid up front. So like the fact that this movie bombed a, I was expecting it and B, um, later it's <laughs> yeah, it's really no skin off my back. Uh, but then also just kind of saying like, I've spent a decade in this world and I am tired of superhero stories and I don't want to tell them anymore. And I want to go back to doing horror and I really want to disconnect from this kind of toxic fandom. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're seeing the same thing with one of the, one of the stars of the movie, uh, Rachel Zegler, who was in one of the, what was in West side story. That's where uh, sort of yeah. entered, entered my, uh, consciousness who is incredible in West Side Story um, on the red carpet asked why she chose this movie and ex- a lot of folks expect like oh Shazam meant so much to me as a kid uh, and she very honestly was like I needed a job <laughs> and I'm like she's like I needed a role and this seriously was and she actually this- added seriously which was like yeah not joking yeah. being amicable and- about it and smiling while I say it but but seriously and like I kind of loved that, and I'm like I'm sure I actually got to work alongside like Lucy Liu and, and Helen Mirren, Helen and Mirren. like like that. But I'm sure she had a great time filming it. Um, but like there started to be this first this kind of backlash of like re- you got to respect the source material, which is some of the stuff you see kind of bubbling up with like the Witcher TV show, and like you know all this kind of like you need to be a super fan in order to make to, to direct to write to star to do anything in this but then you also i i started to see what i don't know what the opposite of a backlash is front lash front lash so i saw a nice front a lash, lash. A lash. A nice, just a lash just a regular lash a uh, of, of people uh sort of appreciating this honesty and not the like bullshit of like sometimes it's fine to just take a take a job that doesn't mean you're not 
trying. It doesn't mean you're, you're, you're phoning it in, but like sometimes you just need to pay the bills and sometimes you need to keep your health insurance. And, and I, I really do. I kind of appreciated the honesty surrounding this movie more than I did the movie itself, because yeah. um, we can talk about it later. I just thought the movie was, was it's pretty boring, and it feels like this last dying gasp before uh, James Gunn does a hard reset. Um, that being said, I don't know what to hate. Hey, Tom Cruise was amazed by the Flash, so who knows? If it's, if it's good enough for that weirdo, it's good enough for me. Um, I mean, can, can you imagine the world where like Tom Cruise walks out of the Flash screening to the gathered Hollywood press corps <laughs> that Warner Brothers have assembled? He's wearing the big smile on his face. He's great, grabbing David Zaslav, giving him a firm handshake. He's got to tell you, Dave. I thought that movie was a pile of horse shit, but I love that you're trying. I love that you're trying. Go Gotta on. Gotta save the theaters. Straight to theaters. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Darren, did you did you take anything from this as someone who's been sort of covering uh, uh, the, the, the fandom machine, both, you know, in DC and Marvel and Star Wars? Um, does this feel like a, a new moment or is this just you know, uh, another story in what's going to be the giant tome of, man, this was a weird century. <laughs> I mean, again, it's worth no. Sorry, go ahead there, Seb, sorry. Uh, I, was, I was just uh, looking at that. What a weird century kind of thing. <laughs> that's going to be, I, that's I gonna be the book. Figured, I'm like, man, stuff got weird. <laughs> I still figured yeah. that honesty came from, uh, what is it? You, you say with the phoning it in and people admitting, yeah, I just kind of did it for, for the paycheck. But mm-hmm. that's sort of where the angry business decline comes from is, if they don't want to pay more money for better products, they will f- pay less to the person who will do it. And that's why it's like, why, why this screenwriter who has almost no, nothing in their credits, why this yeah. actor, why the, it's like, well, they were the ones willing to stoop so low. Yeah. Uh, I figured that yeah. that is, they're just kind of saying, I don't even, what we're all thinking one, now. Like Rachel Zegler was fine in the movie. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't, yeah. didn't stand out as like, it wasn't like a terrible performance or anything. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there are two things there. Just on Seb's thing, um, you're entirely right, by the way. You're entirely like, there are writers who have talked about this. Oh, yes. There are writers who've talked about this, and they've said, like, you want to know what the problem is with the writing on, say, the Marvel streaming shows. The problem is that they don't have showrunners, they have head writers. So if you're hiring somebody to run a show, you have to pay showrunner rates, and you have to give them, in particular, like, showrunner level control. They have to have creative decisions, and you have to pay them consummately. But if you're bringing somebody in to be a head writer as opposed to a showrunner, because you don't have a showrunner, your showrunner is Kevin Feige, you're asking them to accept a downgrade in title, you're asking them to accept a downgrade in salary, and you're asking them to accept that they will be completely rewritten and their work will be completely ignored if it doesn't fit the corporate mandate so there are a lot of people in hollywood uh, who have talked off the record you can google it on la times and stuff like that who said no you you don't we don't touch those roles people who the people who should be doing that don't touch those roles because they know that they're not going to be allowed to do the things that they want to do they're not going to be paid for the work that they're doing and accepting those roles would actually set their careers back because if you accept a demotion to run one of those shows you then have to work your way back up to where you were when you accepted it um whereas it's it's much more appealing um to offer and again like i i don't want to single out individual creators i think everybody's hustling uh there's no shame in it but i think like if you're picking somebody who's a story editor on one show and offering them to become head writer that's a step up so they don't have the experience because they consider this getting the experience and then can maybe jump off that into writing something else. So, yes. so Seb, you are you are depressingly Aww. more correct than you realize. Uh, what I will say about Zegler is I think it's a generational thing. She is 19 years old, which is frankly terrifying. Yeah. Um, but she's come from a generation where obviously like she 
she began doing musical theater in school, but she's a big YouTube personality. That's how she got the role uh, in West Side Story. She has a way of dealing with people that is very direct. She's used to engaging directly with people online and that idea of authenticity and how important that is. And I think you can see a big difference. And I hate that I'm going to have to do this. I think you can see a big difference in how she is dealing with like the Shazam stuff. Uh, as compared to, say, Zachary Levy, who's oh. immediately like, you know, people were out, they wanted us to fail. I mean, the fans, the fans, the real fans, they they turned out for, they know that this is a masterpiece in their hearts. It's the critics and the bad fans. They're the ones who are evil and behind it all. And you're like, it's the people who took the vaccine, they're the ones ruining <laughs> the movie. <laughs> and, and, and you're like, that that's the old Hollywood machine. That's the one yeah. where, like, obviously his PR team weren't, like, tech. now's the perfect time for a tweet about big pharma um but they were like no they were the ones who were like no we need to get out there need to message it's bad fans critics suck or whatever yeah and i think that like zegler's managed to stay on just the right side where she has sent out tweets saying the audience response is very warming i'm glad people are enjoying it but she stopped short of saying no there's a big conspiracy against us by all the meanies uh, and it's been more like no I, I need to work i came off a movie that got did very well in terms of awards and reviews didn't perform it well uh, at all at the box office because they released it simultaneously in theaters and on streaming on the same day and that maybe has an impact on how your film will perform um but also uh yeah then i need to work and i need to work again she's going to be in snow white she's going to be in disney's snow white and she's going to be the star of the hunger games, games prequel something it's a prequel oh. yeah okay i, I yeah. couldn't remember what it was um so yeah, yeah. I mean, she's gonna be snow white which we're all rolling our eyes because they keep fucking doing this but the movie will probably make a lot of money i don't know I, I, I guess I don't know. Paid. Who's Snow White? Uh... Oh, it's directed by Mark Webb. Amazing Spider-Man. Oh. <laughs> is that enough to get you? I mean, 500 days of summer. Yeah, 500 days of summer. I love days of summer. Yeah, we'll, we'll focus on that one and not the Amazing Spider-Man. Although Chris Amazing Evans Spider-Man 2, Amazing Spider-Man 2, when uh, uh, he tries to web Gwen Stacy and it turns into a hand and he misses her, great shot. If that movie was just an animated GIF, I would love Amazing Spider-Man too. <laughs> I mean, there is the moment where he fixes the little guy's science project, and I'm like, this is the exact kind of scene I feel like superhero movies need. And then he's like, sorry, you got to excuse me, I got to pop into like 20 different crossovers simultaneously. And I'm like, yeah. oh, oh, can we stay with the kid? With the, can we can we stay with the like the helping people? <laughs> we, oh no, no, okay? no, we're leaving. Oh, okay, <laughs> bye, <laughs> bye. Um, so yeah, we uh, in this, this slow crawl towards uh, James Gunn, who is now officially writing and directing uh, the the Superman movie that's going to reboot the DCU, and it's going to be part one: gods and monsters, monsters, gods and men. I think it's called. I think it's called some monsters, which is odd because that's the that's the name of the James Whale biopic, James, isn't it? Yeah, Arnie the movie. McKellen and yeah, Brendan Fraser. Yeah, it's a great movie, but it's like uh, I didn't realize this was going to be essential reading for James Gunn's DCU. Apparently, <laughs> but uh, in the uh, on our way there, we still have the Flash, which is uh, slated to be one of the the big movies of the summer. Um, we have Aquaman two, which is this f- winter, um, yeah. and then we have the Blue Beetle, Kingdom. and we have Blue Beetle, which. That's not real, right? Because that's still just a poster. Which, which is only coming out as long as David Zaslov doesn't remember that it exists. Yes. I mean, that's kind of like, that's genius. That's like, ooh, I have a job at Twitter, but I have everyone above me got fired. And so I could just keep collecting a paycheck. And if I don't make any noise, I'll be set for the next five <laughs> years because that company has no idea what's going on. Yeah. It's like the the, the team behind Blue Beater are like, we could be the third highest grossing DC movie of the year, baby. <laughs> 
so yeah, that's um, sort of the the final um, gasp of whatever this what? whatever this this DC experiment for the past ten years has been. Um, and yeah, Shazam has its set of post post credit scenes that are very sad. Just like I are the they really self aware? I'm about to say, are they like self aware? Like the the, yeah. the final sequence with the returning villains from the previous movie that feels like it's mocking the very idea of post credit scenes. And of I'm kind of like, oh, we'll, we'll be back next time. <laughs> you know, Don't you we'll worry. Be back. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, no, it's going to take us exactly as long to get back. So. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't treat itself as seriously as like the black Adam post credit scene, which very much was try- him <laughs> trying to like, oh, to will the, <laughs> have a, he had his like vision board of being like pictures of the rock I, and Henry Cavill and being like, I will beat Superman. I will punch yeah. Superman in front of millions of people and they will elect me president. I think Dwayne and Johnson they will thank read me that for book, it. The Secret, where it was like, oh, you can will what you want into existence. And he was just trying to will that Superman movie into existence, which um, probably not happening. Like Jim Carrey at the start of like 2022, he was like, wrote, I want to punch Superman in the face on a check. I was like, I'm going to take it to the bank, baby. It was beautiful. <laughs> uh, do we think uh, that this is a superhero fatigue thing? That's the broader question. Like, that's the like, do we think that like this underperforming is the point at which we go, unless you are a brand that the public recognize, they're not going to turn out to you. So Batman, the Flash is probably safe. Superman's probably safe. Guardians is probably safe. Uh, Captain America's probably safe, yeah. Spider-Man's safe, but like, what about like the Marvels or what about Blue yeah. Beetle or what about, you know, like, yeah. we saw it with Ant-Man. Um, yeah. Uh, just and that one, ago. that one had the weight of this is the future. This is yeah. the next big crossover. This is a big event. And it's like, that's not going to make half a billion dollars, which is an absurd thing to say. It's like, yeah. imagine living in a world where Ant-Man is a disappointment because it doesn't make half make a billion half a, dollars. Yeah. Yeah. It feels um, like expectations. Okay. I come in to the DC, the DC, probably where a lot of people came in, which is Dark Knight, right? I'm not going to say that, that I represent everyone in the fandom, but that is, to me, one of the high points for them. But that's probably, the, I mean, that's probably wants, the highest, that's probably the apex of DC movies. Yeah, but like DC in terms of wants like to sort of... General pop live action comic book movies, maybe? Yeah. 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 But it feels like DC almost gaslit the population into going, that's our standard, that's our... That's just average. I don't know what happened to these other films. I'm like, they're just normal DC they're films. They're not made by one of the I five don't, best living like, filmmakers. Take, I don't think these <laughs> films are that shit. They're not that good. I don't think they're that garbage, though. And that's that's the problem here is they go, well, what, The Dark Knight was so great. I was like, man, that was like 10 years ago. And prior to that, there was nothing matching it. And so yeah. now Ant-Man doing not so well. I, I was, it was it was watching it and seeing a lot of the films. I, there were there were none I could decry, but plenty where I go. I, I do feel bad if I go in with the mindset of I was entitled to Iron Man one again, a masterpiece. Yeah, I was yeah. entitled yeah. to Iron Man three again. It's like no, these expectations are just absolutely yeah. Uh, no, nowhere, nowhere near the the quality that's I coming mean, I th- out. I think I also think like. The general population's entire brain has been hardwired, like just just reformatted over the past three years since the pandemic, of being like, I can watch these things at home, not just eventually, but pretty soon. Like forty five days later or whatever it is, a lot of these movies will be home on a streaming service you might have, and they don't, um, save for the handful of of ones that feel like they're really like pop culture tent poles. It just doesn't seem like there's a conversation around the rest of them. You're not really missing out. And there's nothing 
like I don't know if young like young people are still going to horror movies, so that's still a thing. Like young people still want the communal experience. Like you see, Scream Six overperforming. Like you see, like pretty much every Blumhouse movie, something like Megan. You see these movies that they're not making a billion dollars, but people want to go there, and and uh, you know people people want to sort of be a part of that experience that you can't have at home. Like you can't get a theater on an opening night screaming at a horror movie in the same way that um you can you can you know get at home and i just feel like you're not missing a lot if you don't see these these superhero movies day and date i mean it's also worth noting that these superhero movies now cost 200 million dollars a pop um which is frankly obscene where like the multiplier is two and a half times your stated budget and those stated budgets are often underreported specifically for this purpose so part of me is like the solution here is probably just to like start cutting budgets start dropping the scale stop needing them to perform at this absurd level when it seems like we can no longer really assume that they will i just you don't know? know where is that money going because these movies are ugly catering <laughs> uh, well, it, it, <laughs> no, well fam- famously marvel has a terrible spread or at least it used yeah. to under ike Perlmutter. um there was a famous story of like when they announced the avengers um they had like subway rolls that was the thing that hey, they had for that? like I know, but it's like a proper like suit and tie reception where they're serving like half subway rolls and counting the bottled water that the that the reporters were taking. Um, yeah, you you couldn't get a second like room temperature bottled water in that room apparently. Um, Be yeah, I, I love, by the way, that that's what people remember about the announcement of like the biggest movie of twenty twelve. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like that, that's the thing. I think, I think it's, it's the absurdity of being like, these things cost $200 million. And I think it's, I think it's being honest. It's, it's because of the way that they're written. They're written in ways that are largely improvisational. There are a lot of reshoots on them. And when you involve reshoots on them, that means like bringing people back or arranging to send people over. So if, for example, you know, the, the rumors, and again, I don't know if they're true, but say the Black Panther reshoots where you have to fly Letitia Wright from the UK right. over to Atlanta. Or if you believe the rumors, you have to fly a crew over to the UK to film with her there. You have to find a green screen. You have to hire staff to do the compositing. You look at the compositing. You say, I don't like that compositing at all. You send it back. You have to spend more man hours looking at it, reviewing it, getting it done under I mean, like the thing is, the reason why these numbers are so high in terms of special effects, and we should note, by the way, <clears throat> visual effects people are horrifically under under yes. like paid for the work overworked, that they do, underpaid, yeah. overworked and underpaid. But like, this is the thing that's crazy. The amount of time that they have obviously increases, uh, decreases the budget. So the famous story is like Sunshine, the Danny Boyle movie, cost something like $40 million, and it looks amazing. And the reason that it looks amazing is because they spent two years on post-production on it. They gave it to this VFX house, and the VFX house said, we can do it at that price, but we will do it by like not making people sleep under their desks. Yeah. And it will be, yeah, and it will take <laughs> us two years, and it will look as good as if we had done it in two months, but it will cost a lot less. I think Paul is another example, uh, much to like the problem Alien with movie? Paul. Yeah, yeah the, the you know the Nick uh, Nick Frost Simon Pegg yeah, movie, yeah. Which, fe- which feels like it came out about like say hypothetically two years too late. Yeah, uh, the reason it came out two years too late was because a similar situation. They had a very low budget. And they went to special effects house, and special effects house said, "We can do that for you, but we'll do it with humane conditions, uh, in humane working hours, and it will cost this much." Whereas I think if you work the way Marvel do, which is like throw everything in test screen it 
do massive reshoots based on test screening yeah, results, yeah. do massive reshoots based on audience responses to movies that came out after yeah, rap yeah. production. You accrue costs very, very, very quickly that way, I would contend. Yeah. Especially if you've you got know, like, The Rock bringing around his entire gym equipment. <laughs> I'm sure that goes in the contract. <laughs> his, uh, his iron, She's not eating Subway sandwiches. Or something. No, no. Too oh, did you, do you not hear the famous story about like the Black Adam premiere? One of my favorite things was like Black, like The Rock made them buy his tequila to serve at the premiere of his movie. Like that, he, he, oh, incredible. All right. And like people were upset because it was a PG-13 movie, but The Rock's going to get paid, baby. They sell drinks at Disneyland. It's all right. Yeah, you can get, get liquored up at Epcot Center. It's fine. <laughs> um, st- well, sticking with uh, Disney, and uh, we'll start off with Marvel, but uh, uh, Hollywood Reporter uh, re- reported. That's a weird <laughs> You should have chosen a different word there. Uh, well, Hollywood, Hollywood Reporter Hollywooded. <laughs> uh, that Victoria Alonso is uh, exiting Disney, and uh, you might not know her name, but she is, was an executive producer of the MCU movies um, ever since the Avengers and was kind of, the, aside from Feige, like the, the highest producer on these movies, the highest like overarching producer on these movies. Um, and so people are wondering. There's conflicting reports. um, um sort of a lot of rumors and speculations over why this was and and kind of what if she was responsible she for why she pushed yeah and it's it's one of those was she a sacrificial lamb like was she are we gonna try to be like all the bad stuff about marvel is her fault but all the good stuff is kevin feige's but that's clearly you know that's not where the truth mm-hmm. lies but um darren did you have any any thoughts on that do you think that that will change anything or do you think this is part of the overall superhero fatigue let's pump the brakes and maybe think about this stuff for a little bit, which was what we're seeing with various delays and reshufflings and all that. Yeah, I mean, I again, I don't necessarily think it's possible to apportion blames on these situations. And I also don't think that we as outsiders should be like conspiratorially saying, oh, X is responsible, Y is responsible, if we don't know the inner workings of the studio. Generally speaking, like Kevin Feige is at the top and the book stops mm-hmm. there. So if, if there is going to be criticism, that's where, that's where it goes. Part of me is more like, I suspect this is a kind of a financial thing more than a creative thing um, in that. I think that uh, Disney, we've talked about this before. Um, Disney's massive losses, the black hole that streaming has become the idea that we are focusing on like preserving costs and the fact that we can't count on these movies to make massive amounts of money going forward. And I don't know whether it's Disney's idea or her idea, but part of me is like, if I'm an executive who has like been in charge or overseen the the gravy chain that was the MCU through to Endgame, I'm used to getting gigantic bonuses. I, I'm used to getting gigantic budgets. I'm used to having incredible creative freedom. And if I see that stuff being limited and restricted and, you know, again, some of this is obviously superhero fatigue stuff, uh, the slowing down, the throttling of releases, the pushing out of releases. But I do also think that it is also money saving stuff where mm-hmm. you push two Disney streaming shows out of this year into next year. You can presumably cut the VFX budget on them <clears throat> because you're processing them in a humane way. Uh, you move the Marvels out of summer into November. You can cut at least some of your advertising budget there because you're not trying to break through the same noise as Barbie and Oppenheimer and everything else that's coming out in the summer. You're competing against awards films. I know what a weekend that's going to be. Um, but so like, excited. I do. I know. I know. Possibly best movie weekend ever? Question yeah. mark. I don't know. Um, but I do think that like. If I were to put a pin in it and to speculate wildly, that would be my guess. I suspect that there's, uh, you know, there are cost-cutting measures coming, being 
a high ranked executive in Disney and Marvel may not be as rewarding as it was during the golden days. There may also be a sense of wanting to get out before you are tarnished by it in that, like, if you leave now, you have overseen Endgame. And if something bad happens in the future, that's not on your resume. So when you apply for whatever ne- next job's going to be, she has a memoir coming as well, actually, which is going to be very interesting. I don't interesting. imagine. Yeah. But that's the one that that's the one it's like we should sit down after she's published her memoir. And if it's like a proper Brian Cox memoir, uh, then it's like, OK, we have a we have an idea that this was maybe a bit heated. If it's just a yeah. generic, eh, you know, whatever, it's a well, presumably <laughs> she wanted to get out and get paid. You know, she wanted to get out and get she wanted to sell her story and move to another job with less stress. And yeah, and as yeah. with with her resume, she'll be able to yeah, get a job yeah. anywhere. So she'll yeah. she'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. Um. And uh, for the the final the final Disney bit before we get to, to the main topic, um, a couple Star Wars uh, news bits over the last couple of days. Uh, one is that uh, the Daniels, the Academy Award winning directing and writing duo of Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, are going to be directing an episode of the upcoming Skeleton Crew uh, TV series, which is a Star Wars series uh, starring um, Jude Law, I believe uh, John Watts. Uh, from the first Spider-Man movies, the showrunner. Um, and it's sort of going to be, it seems like it's going to have this like Amblin feel to it about like a group of kids. We don't really know what the, the story is actually about, about pirates, um, about pirates. You think it's like gotta be. they did. They done. What was it? Mando's your Western. Mando's yeah. your and, and or and or that's it. You can call it Ando. That's fine. Ando. 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 like that. We're, we're on that name basis. <laughs> Ando and Ando. Ando. I like that. Mando and Ando. Mando, Ando, and Lando. Yeah, Ando. And, and now uh, t- we're returning to pirates. It's, it's just I would love that. Star Wars, but they're they're retheming their stuff. If over they're here. on a little treasure hunt, I think that would be Probably. wonderful. Oh, my God. If they have a treasure map, intergalactic treasure map, that sounds that What, sounds what else could what if, what if the treasure map? What if yeah. the treasure map leads them to another treasure map? Oh, no. Think about that. Or what if the treasure map leads them to Palpatine's cloning chamber, which is yeah. what we all want to see. Just more mystery um, boxes over and over. Uh, some people, Pirates uh, in an adventure with Jedi. There's a deep cut <sighs> reference for people. Beautiful. What was that? That's Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists. The, the wonderful David Tennant Aardman thing with um, Charles Darwin. Okay. All right. Hugh Grant. It was part of the Hugh Grant Renaissance. Oh, he no, was I a claymation pirate. Him. No. Okay, he was a claymation pirate. David Tennant was Charles Darwin, and there was like a cute monkey, like pirate person. Very good. Sound, I had a good I mean, time. Sounds made up, but I'm not assuming it's real. <laughs> like, it definitely sounds made up, though. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do like the Hugh, uh, the Hugh Grant Renaissance, though. That was a that was a yeah. good time. Um, some people are worried, being like, "Oh no, Academy Award winning auteurs have been gobbled up by the Disney machine." Uh, they directed this last year. Um, they directed this yeah. before. I think they said before everything, everywhere, all at once, even released. Mm. Uh, and they're just directing one episode. And they say again in their Instagram post, they said uh, we're, we did this so we could keep our health care. <laughs> <laughs> Which it is insane to me that like this is the state of of not only Hollywood but of America as a whole that Academy Award winning like the m- most successful filmmakers of last year had to. Um, had to direct an episode of the Star Wars show to keep their health care. So the guys who said Steven Spielberg home like empty handed, like as yeah. well. Yeah. Um yeah. Jim Jim Cameron didn't come to the awards because he wasn't nominated because they took all of his nominations. Oh yeah, um, wasn't he wasn't he throwing a little party during the Oscars yeah, like for the crew? That was which I love. I actually love that stuff. Big Jim yeah. was yeah, Big J was like, I'm not going to the Oscars. And you're like, oh you arrogant conceited bastard. Like, no, I'm having a big party right here with all my mates. <laughs> Yeah, 
Underwater. Um, that being said, I'm not holding my breath that this is going to be an episode of the show that feels incredibly different. Um, Case in point, this week's episode of Mandalorian was directed by Lee Isaac Chung, who directed um, Minari, an incredible film. Uh, If you would have told me that this episode of The Mandalorian was directed by a robot AI, I would have been like, yeah, it seems like they they chose the right places to put the camera and (laughs) the actors read their lines. Um, (laughs) So that's being a little bit mean. I really did not like this episode of The Mandalorian, though. Uh, I just, without spoiling it, um, Darren, because you're only halfway through, it just felt like store brand Andor. And I know these things were probably conceived and written and shot almost simultaneously, but uh, everything it tried to do with its zag was done way better in Andor, in my mind. Um, yeah, it does feel like, the, like I'm, again, I'm only 26 minutes in. You can talk about it and spoil it if you want. Um, I have suspicions about what happens at the end of it based mm-hmm. on like how heavily the episode signposts what it is doing. Um, yeah. But I do, I do, I love that you're like, yeah, yeah, it's all true. All of it. It's all true. of it. All of it. All of it. <laughs> um, but I, I do, yeah, it, it it does feel, I kind of admire Favreau trying that stuff. It's like the stuff he's doing with the Mandalorians, where it's like, it's about factionalism. And it's about the idea that, you know, in order to fight fascism, people have to learn to work together and circular mm-hmm. firing squads are bad ideas. And, you know, kind of like purity testing doesn't get anybody anywhere. And you're like, that's an interesting idea. But it's also like, but look, here's a 20 minute TIE fighter battle at the start just to make sure you're paying attention. It's like, yeah. John, I really wish you would spend that time actually like developing the characters and world in what mm-hmm. this episode is actually about instead of writing pew, 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 pew on your script you ask a lot of favreau i think that's the script for chef as well (laughs) too many pew pews and chef a lot of pew pews and chef pew pew scarlet yo pew pew pew, pew. i think it just goes to show everyone's got a little bezos in them do do you guys remember that 12 step list to making the perfect show i think everyone uh once you get to a certain point of uh, having too much money you're just like oh it's you just do just make it good that's it. Yeah. It's just, just flustered. What, what, what do you mean? Just make it not bad. Here, have more yeah. money. Just make it not bad. Uh, while you're... Uh, my favorite... My favorite note was like the things that like a show needs to include to be successful according to Bezos. Item number six was positive emotions, and item number seven was negative emotions. Mm. Couldn't we have just did emotions? Like we could have bundled these into <laughs> one thing. He was like, maybe he had that initially, and was like, "Fuck, I only got the nine. I don't know. I can't. I can't finish my list." <laughs> That's like the old like, oh, what if I do the line spacing to like two point yeah. one? Yeah. Then I have to write one out one one fewer sentence to finish this report. Um. um and then Good emotions, uh, bad emotions, neutral Terminator emotions. Um, <laughs> uh, Jim Cameron, Big Jim. I saw that one. I saw both of those movies. I saw every Terminator movie, but only two of them were Big Jim. He might have. <laughs> did he produce one of the later ones? He, like, well, he was all over. He was all over Dark Fate. He was all. Was he it. did a lot of press for Dark Fate because that, that was Linda Hamilton coming back, I think, as well. That's right. And, and That's I right. do, I do like that, even though whatever you have heard about their separation and divorce, they do seem to genuinely like each other, which is good. Yeah, that's nice. Um, Same with him and Catherine Bigelow, right? Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and he doesn't, you know, Cameron doesn't really seem like the kind of guy that you have an argument with and it's grand. Yeah. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really seem like Papa Fableman um, in no. terms of like divorce Papa partners. Fableman. No. <laughs> yeah. 
up a fable bit. And then the uh, last bit of Star Wars news. Uh, it has been reported that uh, writers Damon Lindelof and Justin Britt Gibson are reportedly exiting their Star Wars movie, which has been slated for December 19th, uh, 2025. So not this Christmas, not next Christmas, but the following Christmas. Um, this was a movie we were excited about because, uh, well, I was excited about because I really like Damon Lindelof, uh, especially his, his television work um, on Lost and The Leftovers and The Watchmen, I think are incredible, all three of them. Uh, his filmography has some ups and downs, uh, Cowboys and Aliens, Prometheus. Uh, I really like Prometheus. Okay, good. That's that's not like a contentious topic here. What about Alien Covenant? My girlfriend liked it. <laughs> okay, good. I, I, didn't, Alien- I didn't mind it. <laughs> Alien Covenant is a great movie about like Ridley Scott being told that he has to make a sequel to Alien and he's like, fuck, I'll just do what James Cameron did. Like, it's the most passive aggressive, like mainstream release I have seen in a while. And I admire that about it. But part of me is also like, I wish Ridley Scott had got to make his Prometheus 2 rather than a movie about how he was forced to make a movie that wasn't Prometheus 2. I also wish he got to make his Gladiator 2, that original script where um, uh, uh, Maximus dies, goes to hell, uh. fights the gods, and then eventually is reincarnated and goes through like the Civil War, World War II, and Vietnam, and then eventually ends as, as working at a, high, a high-ranking job in the Pentagon. And that's literally what the second yeah. Gladiator movie was going oh, to be written man. by Nick Cave. I missed out. <laughs> the yeah. opening scene of, like, is it X-Men Origins Wolverine, basically? The opening yes. credits of Oh, I love that. God. That's what the movie was going to be. Yeah, that's what Gladiator Two was going to be. More of that. I could always do more. I think he was either going to kill Christ or hang out with Christ. No, that, that's Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ too. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, wrong one. Uh, but yeah, but I guess we're getting Gladiator Two with Paul Mescal and uh, Barry Keaton and, and Denzel Washington. Uh, Denzel Washington. So this is my three favorite Irish actors. <laughs> um, I uh, I don't know. I'm I'm. Uh, that cast is incredible. I mean, Paul Mescal and, and Barry Keown are like, that's, that's, you're buying stock. Yeah. That's rising stock right there. <laughs> that's rising stock. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Well, that's two, two, two actor nominees this year. Like, two yeah, acting yeah. nominees this year. And then one of the, the most celebrated actors in the last 35 years. So, um, yeah. And the other half American gangster, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really, Scott's like, look. Like they were too hot together, but separately we got a franchise. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, one of them, either Mescal or Keon, are playing Walking Phoenix's son. I think they. Say. And the other one's playing Maximus's son, isn't it? Oh, there you go. A couple of kids and, who hate each other. And to be like again, this is one of the things where I constantly debate with like Gladiator fans: is the implication that like. Joaquin Phoenix's sister's son may secretly be Maximus's son because they got jiggy with it. Like, Ooh. am I just reading that, or like, because it does feel a little bit like that's the subtext the movie wants you to get, even though the maths don't quite add up. That could be a new column, tinfoil hat corner. Oh, just, I like it. We'll put just, that out on Thursday. That's a Thursday. That's yeah, when yeah, the card yeah. finishes. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Uh, Frost, are you? Uh, you've, you seem like a Gladiator fan. Uh, absolutely. Oh, I just okay, like Russell yeah. Crowe. That, Ooh, that's is he, a, next, that's is he past, next in line? Is, is he next in line for you? Okay, he was, I, he was a I previous deep dive. I don't know if I'll go for a next in line, because I kind of have grown a bit fond of, of cheekier, heavier Crowe. He's just been an absolute doll in, like, uh, the other guys with uh, Ryan Reynolds. I kind of like him fat. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what was the road rage one he did? Was it? Out- it wasn't outrage. What was the one he did? The road rage one. That was one of the like. It was the movie that brought back cinemas. Like Nolan tried oh, with Tenet, and then yeah. it was like the road rage. Like like <laughs> Russell Crowe barely gets out of the car movie. It's like Marlon Brando. Oh, I think is probably know, how yeah. I would describe that performance. Yeah. <laughs> In a good way or about, no late Marlon Brando esque. Late Marlon, like, but I mean late Marlon Brando is pretty. If you're in the right mood for late Marlon Brando, still still pretty great. Yeah, unhinged. This thank you Grunger five four nine in the comments. Unhinged. It is unhinged. That is yes. It's quite. I don't know if it's good, um, but it does is it like feature falling a down. Is it like a dude who gets angry? It's like what if falling down, but also changing lanes, but also like late period Russell Crowe and also a director who doesn't know how to control late period Russell Crowe. Like there is literally oh, a moment right. where he like he lights a guy on fire, throws him at a police officer and escapes through a screen door. Um, and that's how he exits a scene. Good. Every movie should have that. <laughs> how do I end up on Russell Crowe? Was it? What are you talking gladiator. about? Uh, yeah, gladiator. Gladiator. Oh, but what were we talking about before? This is the directors, wasn't it? Hold on, where were we on this thing? No, we were talking about... Right, uh, it was Damon Lindelof and... Oh, yeah, because Lindelof <laughs> wrote Yeah, I was Prometheus, like, I swear we were not talking about... To, yeah, I was like, we're not yeah, talking Lind- about Yeah, Lindelof Crow. wrote Prometheus, which got us to Ridley Scott, which got us to Gladiator 2. Thanks, Ross. I feel like that's where the question should have been. I was like, wait, Russell Crowe? <laughs> <laughs> uh, before, and before we get to our main topic, a, uh, a brief 50 minutes into the episode. Um, this, this, don't worry, this won't be it. We're not going to talk in like an hour about the main topic. It'll be fine. Everyone, everyone cool. That's, that's, that's what you think as I reach for my You notes. have a lot of thoughts on endings. I have a lot uh, of Lampy. thoughts, yeah. <laughs> with a five pound down now. I presume Darren is taking a long holiday so we can watch all of One Piece. I look forward to his write-up of the story so far. Just do what Frost did. And watch it all at three times speed. You can't. Do you ever watch your things at three times speed, Darren? No, no. Why would when you rewatch Succession? Did you watch it at three times speed? No. Jesus okay. Christ. They talk fast enough as is on that show. You, you need can you it? imagine Kieran Culkin oh. at three times speed? Oh, baby. <laughs> you, you need to make oh, a box. Okay. I'm, I had to make a watching box out of cardboard that had my phone on it so I could lay down because I was not. My back started hurting from how long I was just sitting. I was like, I want to lay down, but I don't want to hold my phone. So I made a box that could just hold my phone up for you me. Should have, you should have like went to Shark Tank with that. <laughs> sure, there's already something like that. I've created a depression box to watch your anime <laughs> yeah. when you're sad. <laughs> uh, the great thing then, is that you can lock it so you can't take it off either. Oh, yeah, like yeah, once yeah, once be, you're in, you have to finish it. Is this a saw trap? Saw, yeah, saw nine. <laughs> it's gonna, no, saw, saw X is coming. Weeb. Saw X oh, is coming. Saw X full weeb. By the director of Saw 3D? Is it? That was, that was a bad one. But he also directed yeah. a good one. He directed, a, a, the, he directed the one about the healthcare system. That's Saw Six, which is like the secret best Saw movie. That is that's about, that might be my favorite Saw movie. That's um, the moment where Jigsaw stands up, looks at a piranha tank, and goes, "Hmm, piranhas." And you spend the rest of the movie waiting for the death trap that will involve piranhas, but it never comes. And that feels like that's Jigsaw's sadistic trap for the audience. That's maybe that's saving it. You got to save something. Yeah. That's like uh, when Rhodey looked at the armor in Iron Man One and said, uh, "I'll get you next time, baby," or something like that. Yeah. And then he was at a whole, and then he was an entirely different man the next time. <laughs> he did get it next time, I guess. <laughs> he did get it next time, and he was an entirely different man. Oh. Uh, and then the Devil's Foot, been mm. for seven months in early access. Thank you so much, Devil's Foot. Uh, it flopped, but Skinnamarink was the best horror. Didn't I don't think? It, oh, oh, then he said flopped critically. I don't think it flopped. I think it has an ardent oh, fan oh. base. 
It also made like two million dollars on a like a fifteen dollar budget. <laughs> it's the Evil Dead of our time. Exactly. Yeah. If you like little children, sort of like mumbling into the ether for ninety minutes. Yeah, um, I love it. When and I'm gonna tell you guys, men do it. And, loved it. And, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I love yes. I, under, I understand I, I like why everyone observation, hates it. by the way. I just I feel like I feel like I need to acknowledge Frost's joke there. <laughs> uh, Darren, did you get a chance to see Skinmark? I have not because I only have so much time and I am desperately, desperately trying to get everything done. Um, so, so you I don't want to spend two watch hours watching watching kids. Oh, ooh, that I don't know if that's a okay, good or no? a bad played movie. Oh, OK. All right. All right. As long as you got good headphones, that's a big sound movie. Oh, it's a big. OK, so maybe not then. Oh. Yeah. But it's a weird sound movie. Okay. <laughs> that is a movie that I really enjoyed seeing it. Uh, and I'm <laughs> terrified to recommend it to any human being. That's how I feel. There's like certain games like that stranding was the same thing where I'm like, it's 75 hours of walking and, and, and pissing in a bottle and taking showers. And I don't want to recommend it to anyone, but it was my favorite thing of 2019. Uh, so it's, it's, that's how I feel about skin. You, you I don't learned, like it as much as death stranding. You learned your lesson. It feel- with immortality. I did learn my lesson with immortality. Everyone I recommended it to hated it. <laughs> to, to, to be fair, it does feel a little bit like Death Stranding was the perfect game for 2019 because we all lived it in 2020 from how you were describing it. Again, Kojima. Kojima don't miss. Kojima predicts the future. Kojima takes people and throws them into his soul-sucking machine. He retweets Nick, and then he predicts the future. Those are the three things <laughs> Kojima loves doing. And then he goes to the movie and gives either glowing reviews or just says, I saw Shazam 2. Yeah, he just says things. This is the silliest he never, thing, isn't it? He never says anything bad about a movie, but he'll either give it a glowing review or just announce that he saw I a acknowledge movie. Acknowledge like, it. Yes. You did not like this movie. Um, we're going to transition. We're going to talk about endings now. As you can see in our art, um, Ted Lasso. 54 uh, minutes into the episode. 54 minutes into the episode. It's fine. Yeah, one person was not happy before. Although they were, they, were, they were mad saying it was clickbait, but then they were also engaging in the conversation at the time. So I'm like, you, either, you can either be mad that it's clickbait or engage with the conversation at the time. You can't do both. Or, um, maybe it's so good clickbait that it got them in and they got maybe engaged. Maybe, that, maybe, maybe, maybe your clickbait was too good, Marty. I, maybe I just come from a different time where I feel like the title, again, wasn't entitled to much of anything. It's, it almost becomes a little puzzle. It's like, when will the title tie back into it? Sometimes it doesn't reveal it until the end where they just say, we had an inception. Dun, dun. No, like, <laughs> they, had, they said inception pretty early in that. But, but you, know, you, know, you know what I mean. <laughs> But oh, just, shit, we're tenanting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've tenanted The camera pans around Killian Murphy as like Tom Hardy yeah. sitting beside him. He's like, man, that was a really good inception. Mm, well, yeah. Title drop directed by Christopher Nolan. Um, yeah. That, that's a whole different conversation for a different stream. So. I mean, you could, if you watch The Dark Knight Rises in theaters, you can wait until Joseph Gordon Levitt is rising up the elevator and scream out, The Dark Knight's the Dark Rising! Knight's rising. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> everything everything I, will be fine. I legitimately think that's one of my favorite title drops in cinema history because it is both, like, not a verbal title drop, but also the most obvious title drop. Yeah. In it's great. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, we need more nonverbal title drops. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tenet's kind of a nonverbal title drop because it's front, it's forwards and backwards. Backwards, yeah. <laughs> oh, what a movie! Uh, oh my god, we're now we're fifty six movies of the podcast or sixty fifty six minutes. Just all we got on the main topic, which is uh, three bo- uh, recent beloved modern classics are all <laughs> uh, coming to an end. Ted Lasso has already begun its third and final season. Succession begins on Sunday, I believe. Uh, yeah, it, it's fourth it and final season. I think yeah. it's this Sunday, and then it Barry, is this Sunday, yeah. 
yeah, Barry begins in April for its fourth and final season as well. And so all of these shows will be will be ending sort of around the same point, end of end of May, beginning oh, of June. Uh, um, that same week in May has the ending of like Succession, Ted Lasso, and the Marvelous Miss Maisel. Um, like those three shows are. All oh, is that in is Maisel week. ending as well? Yes, yes. I, I, I thought you're being very rude, Marty. I thought you're being very rude. I no, no, no. I wasn't being. I just I've never watched it. I'm so kidding. Just, I'm it's kidding. Not I'm in my kidding. radar. She's marvelous. Yeah. I, uh, Frost, it's in the watching, Have you been watching Miss Maisel in your MCU rewatch? Oh, you're uh, like, when is she going to get powers? Am I there yet? <laughs> am I you're not there, chronologically you're not, there yet? Are you chronologically at the marvelous Miss Maisel? Well, that's after. It would be after Avenger or. It would be after uh, Captain America: after- First Avenger, but before the '90s, right? Oh, but oh, it's, it's, it's a TV. It's yeah. a TV show, though. I'm not having. Oh, it's, it's oh wait, got- it's not real. It's also not a superhero show. It's about a comic. <laughs> it's it's about a comedian. But it's got Tony Shalhoub in it. I love him. <laughs> Who's my favorite Avenger? Is Monk? Monk is um, my favorite Avenger. <laughs> they're making a Monk movie. Not to not to derail the conversation even further. Let's get back to endings. Well, but we'll they're making later. a Monk yeah. movie. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We'll monk, come back. To that. Start a Monk cast. Uh, so these these three shows are ending. Um, you know, uh, the, these are three shows who've who've garnered Emmy nominations and wins. Who uh, in in other universes I could see running for, for for seasons upon seasons. Ted Lasso, given it's sort of like the 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 feel good show of the early pandemic, I could I could have seen this thing them trying to squeeze blood from a stone or do spinoffs or try it with different sports or anything. Uh, succession, I could have seen any one of those characters getting their own show or or another corporation inside the the We Star Royco universe. Uh, and then uh, Barry is a thing that you, you could have again elongated to to half a, or to an entire decade uh but all three of them a uh, maybe because they have showrunners who, who have a vision but uh are are going out on their own two feet and 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 announced that they're ending and they're not ending because of uh, uh a studio saying listen we're canceling you either mid-season or you need to wrap up this season or uh ratings and, and viewership has been declining uh they're ending on their own terms which i think is something that kind of needs to be applauded because um i i love that I, th- I think it's great i think stories need to end yeah yeah i think i think like again we're, we're it's weird to say that we're living in an age where we have finally started thinking about tv as like an art form where like historically television was seen as that vast wasteland, I think the famous like 1960s speech that was given about the state of television, where it was primarily designed as a mechanism to sell you objects. Like the idea that television drama evolved around the idea of like the commercials you could put in it. So like the amount of time you had to tell a story as a television writer was determined by how much advertising like the network could sell within that hour. So it's like you're running 50 minutes. No, you're running 45 minutes. No, you're running 42 minutes. No, you're running 38 minutes because we're cramming so much advertising in there. And as you said the idea that historically the way that these things have worked is your story's done when the studio tells you it's done when the network tells you it's done they can drop it as you said mid-season they can drop it letting you get to the end of the season you put a cliffhanger in there you're like well look we're setting up an excellent story for next year and all of a sudden the hammer comes down and it's like Mm -hmm. no there's not going to be a next year again that's a lot of netflix stuff that even happens on netflix streaming at the moment in the old days for the olds like myself and marty um you would have situations where like networks would cancel shows so early that they wouldn't even get to air all of their episodes 
episodes. Firefly yeah. is a great example of this. Um, you know, Prophet is an example of this. American Gothic is an example of this, where they're pulled from the air after they've already finished and produced episodes. So they don't even get to show you the ending that they physically filmed and wrote, not knowing that it will be the ending. It just stopped existing at a certain point. And I think that, you know, within the past 20 years, we started talking about TV as an art form. We started talking about like TV as something that is the work of creators, of people who have vision um, or tours. I know it's a dirty word, but we talk about showrunners, you know, like again, Brett Martin's discussion of difficult men, um, which kind of puts the beginning somewhere around 1999. I'd go earlier. I'd say, again, I know Whedon is not a popular name to mention, but say mm -hmm. Whedon's work on Buffy, for example, Carter's work on, you know, the X-Files, for example, mm -hmm. uh, David E. Kelly's work on 90s television, like The Practice and, and all that stuff as well. I think like you did have showrunners before and you did have artists before, but we didn't talk about them that way. We didn't treat them as artists who had visions that were worth discussing. They were certainly seen as an art that was inherently lesser than novels or even film. And I think that like part of treating television as an art form that deserves discussion, merits conversation and like has its own strengths uh, is acknowledging that we give creators the basic rights that we have assumed that like novelists, uh, sculptors, mm -hmm. painters, fucking filmmakers, playwrights have had since the dawn of time, which is you get to say what the end of this story is. You get to wrap yeah. up your story on your terms within the constraints that we've given you. And I think that it's great that television has reached a point where historically shows and again, Marty and I are probably old enough to remember this. You have, we mentioned the problem you have where you could get cut off early. That is definitely a problem. You also have a problem, which is the inverse problem of being allowed to run too long, being yep. made to run too long, where you have shows that like where the creators are like, I see this running five seasons and they get to the end of five seasons and it's like the 20th highest rated show of the year. And so Fox are like, hey, Chris Carter, uh, we're going to move the X-Files to uh, Los Angeles so David Duchovny can keep making it. Would you like mm -hmm. to move all your production down here and uh, get paid a lot and keep making the X-Files long after you've run out of ideas? Like, I don't know if I would. It's like, well, we're going to do it without you anyway. And it's like, Fine, I'll fucking do it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, like Duchovny's like, I want to quit the X-Files. And they're like, fine, we'll just hire Robert Patrick. That, that's grad. And Gillian Anderson's like, I'd like to quit the X-Files too. It's like, what if we pay you a bunch of money to appear in like half of the episodes of the season? Yeah. And so these things just like, they don't, historically, fans of television shows will tell you that like the last season of a given show historically has to be terrible mm -hmm. because in order to be cancelled in order for a network to decide it is not worth renewing this show and driving dump trucks full of money up to the cast and creators houses the show has to actually fail critically and commercially so terribly that there is no option but to cut it dead which mm -hmm. means that these shows never go out or didn't used to go out on top and i think it's really great that you have situations where like you have when we talk about barry for example like <laughs> <laughs> Bill Hader talking about like the anguish sigh that like executive vice president of HBO comedy Amy Gravitt made when she said when he said that he wanted to end it because she was like this is amazing we're gonna win so many Emmys we're gonna run for so long he's like no I'd like to end it and she's like fuck um, or you have like <laughs> Jesse Armstrong who's like you know HBO had been very generous and like we're very eager to do more seasons but have also said look it's your decision I mean like the thing about Armstrong which I find fascinating there's a New Yorker interview which is very good but he said like I didn't know I kind of knew it was the final season as we were writing it but I kept telling everybody including HBO that it wasn't up until we started filming it and then I started telling people yeah. um, which is like I, I like that that sort of freedom exists for people who make art it, I yeah. think it's good i think i think it makes the art better um 
Yeah. I think it also Sorry. it's also a a show of good faith from both HBO and Apple that they were a lot they allowed this. Like they seemingly didn't I don't know maybe behind closed doors they pushed back but like uh Ted Lasso was is the defining show of Apple TV Plus. Like it was synonymous with the launch of the streaming service and has has garnered the most Emmys for it and you know along the way we've gotten really great shows like uh um like Severance that have come from it but like Ted Lasso is still the thing if I had to like put one show alongside the streaming service like for Disney Plus it would be Mando and for Apple it would be Ted Lasso and I don't I don't know when Mandalorian is going to end. Like, I don't. Yeah. It'd be nice if they said, like, fourth season is going to be the end. Like, we have a, we have our arc done. We're going to do this. But I could also see Mandalorian just running for the next six, seven, eight well, years. Um, well, that's you know. the central point of the premiere of the third season is you have Karga going, this show really should have fucking ended, Mando. Like, yeah. that's the entire you thematic finished your point. mission. Like, your <laughs> yeah. goal is done. Yeah. Yeah. I see yeah, it from a... Uh... Almost a, a mechanical wonder of sorts, because I have respect for some shows that continue going, you know, your Doctor Who's, and, uh, you know, also, you say, for, for your time, there were also soap operas, you know, back in the day, mm-hmm. where yeah. essentially a certain cast, certain writers and directors, after a certain amount of time, would kind of just phase and give it on to the next yeah. crew, and you yeah. would decide, do I want to continue watching with the new cast, or is it, you know, for the next generation now, and you just keep on going. Uh, so I, I do have some respect for those that don't end. What I want, though, is just respect for whichever you're going to do. I don't like that we're going to do one or the other simply because it makes us more money. I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't like we're going to we can make this thing go on forever. And then you're going to cut it off at season three because it started to suck. House of Cards. I stopped at season two because I'm like they're going to drag this. I don't believe in this. He's got the presidency. What more can he do? But then you also have uh, shows like they Netflix started going. We've reinvented this thing called Endings. We're making limited series now. And I went, I will watch these even if they're garbage because I am saying with my watch time, I would like more limited series, please. And so I did. I watched that one with uh, Ewan McGregor. He's, he's a fashionista. I watched the, the Watcher. And I was like, it sucked, but it ended. That's fine. Netflix <laughs> yeah. seems to have gotten the wrong idea. They didn't go, oh, he's watching these because they had endings. He's watching these because it's good. So now The Watcher, <laughs> even though it's a limited series, gets a season two? <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not what I wanted. More Watcher. More, more watching. <laughs> more, yeah, more watching of The Watcher. Oh, are they going to call it The Rewatcher? They the should re- call it The Rewatcher. The Rewatcher, yeah, who watches The Watcher. Yeah, um, you. yeah it's interesting for uh, some of those auteurs of the, you know, you didn't even mention it, like David Lynch famously, the, his his struggles with Twin Peaks uh, in the second yeah. season and then finally coming back, you know, 25 years later to, to finish the story's return. Um, Aaron Sorkin, uh, uh, you know, exiting well that was a lot of <laughs> personal drama there but exiting <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, exiting the west wing but then but th- then then coming back dan Harmon, same thing with community um it's it's interesting to see that and i just i don't know i'm someone who i say this all the time when we talk about video games because we uh uh you know we talk a lot about live service games and these games that you know you have stuff like anthem and and, and gotham knights and the avengers and suicide squad these games that like the follow-up to the Arkham trilogy, which was these, these three amazing single-player games, 10 years in the making is a Suicide Squad game that seems to be riddled with live service multiplayer, already trying to sell you post-launch content before the game even comes out. And there just, there inherently seems to be a, like, 
you can't tell a compelling story and and sort of deliver something satisfying if there's just no end in sight to me. If like you want this to be an eternal thing, you just can't. It just th- those two things feel like oil and water. And so I I'm so I like I commend these three shows for being able to after incredible previous seasons, um, you know, Ted Lasso season two, uh, tons of awards, Succession season three, tons of awards, Barry season three, not as many awards as it should have gotten, but I guess there's only a finite amount of awards you could give. <laughs> Ted Lasso uh, took all of its awards. Like <laughs> Ted Lasso took all of its awards. Um, but, um, it, it's just nice that it doesn't have to do like, I talk about lost all the time. One of my, one of my favorite things ever, um, had to get kind of bad, before yes. they were willing to let Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse say, we need to have a landing strip for when we're going to, uh, for how we're going to finish this story. Um, no pun intended because of the plane crash. Um, <laughs> but, you know, because of, it was partly like the writer strike and, and partly, you know, there's like the famous jumping the shark episode of how, how this backstory of how Jack well, got it. Yeah. yeah. Which that was like, if you want the show it's to like a ben forever, episode, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, if you want the show to go forever, these are the kinds of stories you can you can get. And I, I really, once once they knew the end was in sight, like I really appreciated the the closure and the mythology from Lost. And listen, everyone who says Lost ends with them in purgatory, what are you? What the fuck? Watch the show. That's not that's not what the show is. Does, well, it's, mean, not, also, it's not they were dead the whole time. Get out of here. It's also yeah. worth noting that despite the fact that ABC would happily jump into like partnership with Lindelof again, he's immediately gone to HBO, which has been much more willing to give him time and space to land his own plane. So yeah, to speak. Like, but then he tried to go them. back with ABC and Disney and was like, what about this Star Wars? Oh, no, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, oh. <laughs> no, learned my lesson. But like yeah. the thing with the leftovers where it's like that, that HBO were like, this makes no money for us. Nobody watches it. Yeah. Three seasons. Yeah, Um, yeah, Yeah. um, it was a beautiful one of my favorite endings in television history. Yes, yeah, Um, and like Watchmen as well, which is just this perfect thing. And it's like we might bring it back, we might not. And he's like, "Well, whatever you do, I'm not coming back." Um, And it's like that seems to be dead, which is great. Like it's like just one really great season of TV. Um, And to 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 Frost's point, I kind of agree. Like as a big Doctor Who fan. I agree entirely. You can keep things running forever, but like what Doctor Who does is it 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 basically each showrunner's time is almost like a self-contained series. So like Davies gets to build to his grand series finale with like the end of time part one and part two. And it's the most Davies thing you've ever seen. Then Moffat comes in and it's basically a new show. He does basically, again, a new pilot and he builds to his, you know, is it what was the the finale there? It's like the Doctor Falls and like, you know, twice upon a time. And that's like his thesis statement. And then Chris Chibnall comes in and adds like lens flare and anamorphic (laughs) lenses and location shooting. And he builds to like the power of the doctor which is this chip with it i'm being very polite here but the most chibnall thing you have ever seen i say in value neutral terms like i I feel like you can do that long running thing in in a model like that but it does also involve artistry and it does also involve endings like i think those are all endings of a kind i know the show continues but i think that like it is a different thing at each point. You could almost like jump in with matt smith you could jump in with jody whittaker you could jump in with uh chris eccleston and you would be able to, it would be like a new show. It'd be like, yeah. oh, this is, you know. There's kind of nothing, like, is there anything else like that? Is that like a, a, a singularity on TV? Like, like what? The, the fact that this thing's been running for, for decades <laughs> upon decades, oh. but has its own, like, authorship chapters that could very much, like, exist as their <laughs> own. It's like, I guess it's almost like, I don't know, if you, like, like, 
uh, like serialized like books like cry, like the <laughs> in, the bond movies maybe the bond eras uh, i don't know like, like comic books i think like comic books are probably the closest thing i can think of where it's like there's always going to be an x-men comic but when you have a really good writer and artist on it it's like their x-men comic yeah book. yeah like yeah that's like, a good point uh, yeah like you read Grant Morrison's new X-Men, you're like, that is that is its own thing. And then you pick up like, you know, uh, Astonishing X-Men or whatever after it's like it picks up from it. It follows on. It has many of the same characters, but they're suddenly talking in a very different way and dealing with very different themes. And the art looks different. But it's, you know, again, it, it's that sort of thing. I wonder, I don't watch enough soap operas to know this, but I imagine like soap operas have to be a similar thing where you have writers cycling in and out and writers moving up and down in, in the ratings. Like, I, I know that, like, you know, in the UK, like things like Coronation Street and EastEnders have phases like where it's like those two years are a very heavy two years that are kind of dominated by these story threads and then those story threads end and it's never really clean there's always overlap between them but it's like the show shifts dramatically you have a huge exodus of cast a huge input of cast you have obviously people carrying over storylines carrying over but there is a sense of you know not a clean cleaving because you want to keep people watching but kind of similar to what happens with the MCU and its phases because the MCU yeah. is a television show. I mean, I was saying that. That's a good. That's a good. That that's was a good fading headline. out of consciousness. <laughs> this is a TV show. This is just television shows. <laughs> we can kind of watch the TV. We can kind of bleed into the the stuff we've been watching and stuff. Because Frost, you've been um, you've been watching the MCU. It's been watching uh, in, me back. It is. <laughs> I've been gazing into the MCU void and it. Gone back the abyss is staring back. back going oh, um, inevitable people say i'm harsh like jesus Christ. i didn't say it was harsh like it's it's not you called it's not, it a void you, I, call, you said you stared into it, it is, i called it a you. marathon as well well if you're gonna shotgun all of them at once it starts to do strange things to your body yeah i'm putting like um, 10 g's under me does i mean you said you you said you just finished endgame right yep iron man all the way to endgame our Iron Man Endgame, and that to me that did feel like, despite knowing that all that stuff was going to happen afterwards, that felt like a finality to me. That summer yeah. 2019 felt like a man. I like looked back on it, and I was like, this is one of the most impressive things in like pop culture history. That's what, is what they were able to do with 20 movies and sort of have it end like in a in a really satisfying way. And it's crazy how. Four years later, how different I feel. You know, um, you know, the biggest thing I was thinking as we were going through there, I went, if any, if any franchise deserves to have had this kind of ending, it's this one because they put in mm -hmm. the work as I was watching it. Yeah, and it really I, did. If, if we're talking just critic, just crit critiquing everything, it's not perfect. There's a lot of things I don't like. Don't even get me started on the timeline fiasco. That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> but I went. There's so much meaning and so much uh, execution that went into this that I can in the moment just go, thank you for the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. I, I was like 17, 16 when it started. And now yeah. I'm like old. I'm Tony. That's how I feel. Yeah. After. <laughs> I mean, that's, it, it has that thing almost like the Harry Potter books did where like, it's, it's, you went along with a journey along yeah, these characters yeah. and you were like, if you, if it caught you at the right time at transformative years, like you were a different person by the end of it, which lends a new credence to everything before it. Yeah. So it just had this, uh, this emotional staying power, but, and as well as, um, uh, as I was saying to the mechanical spectacle that I don't think many other shows could just go, Hey, we're messing with the timeline. Remember this, remember that, remember that. Like, There's no other show that had put in that kind of legwork to actually um, function in that manner. Mm -hmm. And I went, this was well-deserved. What a great ending. There's eight more. 
<laughs> why <laughs> why are we doing this what what are you building it up to especially because i feel like phase one was super contained that was iron man 2 i think avengers and then you've got phase two was iron man 3 to ultron i'm bad with names I think it was Age of Ultron. Uh, yeah, I think it, Age of Ultron it yeah, ended with. Then the, Phase the, 3 was longer because it was sort of that whole lead up. I, I think the Ant-Man movie was technically the last in the phase, possibly. It's like a oh, okay. chaser. But Almost yeah, like the, how the, the Spider-Man Man movies. Oh, so did you wait? So yes. You technically haven't finished Phase 3 unless you've watched that Spider-Man movie. Phase yes, 3, unless you've watched Far From Home. Weirdly enough, Phase 3 so. doesn't end with Endgame. It ends with Far From Home, which right? was just a contractual thing. What do you <laughs> <laughs> no, but it felt, it felt, it's a pretty good movie. Though, it, felt, it felt like just, like phase one; it was just banger after banger. Whereas uh, the second one uh, was a little more diluted and had a few that were just sort of needed to be imposed for the sake of it as we're building. <laughs> but then it was phase three where I really went. You guys are just doing this, knowing I'll be here to see how it all wraps up. <laughs> and then again, phase four where I go, it's almost there. End game. It's right. It's right there. I'm I'm too far gone. <laughs> It's right there. But somehow yeah. there are two prequels between me and it. Yes. Oh, no, you did in yeah. chronological order. So, yeah, chronological, you skipped those. So it went like okay. uh, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Captain Marvel. It was a little strange. But oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't foresee. Do you ever think we'll get to a point where they where Disney announces this is the end of like we are these are the last 10 projects of of the MCU? I mean cuz comics can always comics just have a long history of being like we're doing the reboot. And superhero yeah. movies have done that too. Like the Keaton movies went to the Schumacher movies, went to the the Nolan movies for Batman. Um but that's we're talking about a much different scale. Like the Nolan trilogy is three movies. Um, whereas by the, we're, we're getting to the point where we're at 30, some we're 30 movies now and, and, and a dozen TV shows and that number is only going up. So like, does and this, this has to end at some point, right? <laughs> well, I think, I think like you also need to sell how much of a force of will it was for Nolan to end after yeah. three dark Knight movies where like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has said Warner Brothers came up to him and asked him would he do Justice League. Christian Bale has said Warner Brothers have come up to yeah. him even after the end of The Dark Knight Rises and said would you come back and be Batman for our Justice League? And like to the credit of both of those actors they're like if Chris says yes we'll do it but yeah. uh, Warner's are like well fuck you guys then we'll just hire Ben fucking Affleck. Um, <laughs> Which yeah, was like, exciting like, in theory. <laughs> I was excited when he got hired. I like Ben Affleck. Well, we're we're not gonna open that can of worms. We don't have time to get into back it. tattoos at all. I, wish, I yeah. wish Batman had more of his Boston accent, though. <laughs> he refused to wear a refused to wear a Yankee hat when he's incognito. <laughs> Gone girl. <laughs> Is is the is the dead Robin Matt Damon in this case, where he just has like oh. a stuffed Matt Damon in a costume? Oh, wow. I think it's beautiful. Um. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. Uh, Lampy with a two pound dono said, uh, going back to ending. So is Milf Island art, Darren? Because that has an ending. Hmm. Think about it. I mean, does it does it have an ending? I mean, it certainly has a climax. What if, if it know, zooms out and it turns yeah, out that it's just a, it's a MILF archipelago and there's more islands yeah, to explore? They, li- they lied. They lied to us. It's actually MILF Peninsula. Um, is that a Simpsons joke? It's absolutely a yeah, peninsula. I did, I, did steal, I did steal a Simpsons joke. I'm sorry. Uh, and going along with that, uh, but in space with a $10 dono, Mando felt like a revelation in season one, but has been losing goodwill uh, explicitly because there is no ending plan to build towards. The only thing that could save Star Wars television is Jabba's MILF Palace. 
well, it's no longer Jabba's Milf Palace because it it became Bib Fortuna's Milf Palace and is now Boba Fett I mean, Milf Palace. I mean, we need to pause and acknowledge all the MILFs who died on the Dune Sea. <laughs> Moment of silence. <laughs> Moment of silence. <laughs> That's like Mon Mothma saying many Bothans died to bring us to Many MILFs died to bring us I mean, we don't really like tack that up when we talk about like Luke's heroic deeds, but think about all of Jabba's MILFs. Um, I mean, for all we know, the Rancor was MILF. Oh. We don't know. I don't know anything about the Rancor. I didn't see any weird. Oh, never, never mind. I was going to start talking about Rancor genitalia, but I'm not going to do that. You know why? Because it's a children's show. It's a family show. Is it? Is it? Is it? Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, Lauren with a two dollar <laughs> dono. I appreciate the chaos goblin energy. <laughs> Y'all are rad. Uh, I appreciate calling it chaos goblin energy. Um, I, I really do. Uh, Frost, have you? Uh, uh, do you have a standout from your MCU rewatch? Do you have a favorite and a least favorite so far? I do actually. Iron Man three. Because here, Darren had a little bit of a tiny conversation where he said it was in around. It was around Iron Man three where the fans just started kind of steering the ship in a different way or grabbing at the wheel. Let's say that. I, I, I rarely say that fans have a hold of the wheel, but I will say that sometimes they yank on it, maybe turn on the little light in the car that your dad always said, no, you're going to wreck us in the middle of the night for some weird reason. <laughs> but, uh, and, and I almost feel guilty because that I was a part of that where I went, because he goes, I, Avengers, Iron Man 3. And the spectacle in Avengers, yeah. you're tearing down Manhattan. It was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in Iron Man 3, it was a lot smaller, more more contained. But I think it was because I was just uh, just a kid, very shallowly, superficially into these, where I go, there wasn't enough blowing up. Mm-hmm. Whereas Iron Man 3 really served up some of the most intimate spectacle in, in, small, in small bursts in ways that were just uh, better than... A lot of the future films, because the future films, I go, everything's blowing up and I can't really see anything. Yeah. I don't know. Everything I see, I'm going to, that's good. Someone's got to clean that up. That's the last thought I have. I don't go, whoa, like, well, damn, someone's got to clean that up. Uh, whereas, again. <laughs> so I, you must have loved Spider-Man Homecoming then, yeah? I lo- that was literally about the dudes cleaning it up. Yeah, <laughs> actually cleaning up the entire thing. No, with Iron Man 3, where the, the more intimate spectacle of putting his suit on, on pots everything's going to shit. His house yeah. is blown up and he puts it on her. He doesn't have his yeah. suit anymore. He's got... Dragging his, it behind him. Yeah, he's um, dragging his suit behind yeah. him. He yeah. has to go to like, bad, yeah. He's got to go to like Home Depot to make gloves and stuff just to try and shock his way into the compound and whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was just... Um, at some point, I do feel we did diverge a little bit from, from meaningful... Just meaning, just meaning to just more of the, the thing the algorithm says is nice. There was a yeah. lot of blowing up. There was a lot of equipping banter. That was really strange. His his new AI, because Jarvis, I wouldn't say he quips. I wouldn't even say he banters because he's a piece. He's a computer. He, he can't understand that sort of stuff. But the situational conversation that they have because of the circumstances is very funny. Where he's like, "Why are we in Tennessee, Jarvis?" He's like, well, "That's the last thing you told me. I think I'm malfunctioning." <laughs> Whereas he tries to have that conversation with the new AI, and she goes, "Who do you think I am? Like, of course I can do this." I'm like, "Why would you have? Yeah. Why are you like this? Why? Why are you sentient too? Why <laughs> yeah. is the AI? Should we be worried? Yeah. Why is yeah. the AI how? Like, why is she offended? Yeah. That's not something AI should do. Uh, uh-huh. Or what is Tony into? He would have had to program it into her. You know." So, uh, favorite Iron Man 3, least favorite, oh man, I think it's just, maybe it's my age, I loved Incredible Hulk as a kid, I was like, why don't they make more of these, what happened, it was so shit, 
<laughs> so bad. Barely any dialogue. Liv Tyler's just very whispery. Don't, don't do it. He's not a monster. I am a monster. Hulk smash. That's it. Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare. End scene. Uh, don't don't worry because Emil Blonsky comes back as a major part of She Hulk now on now on <laughs> Disney Plus and Tim Roth. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It's very strange. I don't. Um, I don't. I, I don't know how that happened, but but it did. Uh, Hulk's Hulk's a decent worst movie, at least of those first three phases. Watch it again, bro. I'd say Hulk, Thor, The Dark World. No, as in a decent pick for a worst movie. That's oh for yeah, a wor- okay. probably in my bottom oh. three or four of that of the first three phases. Uh. I say that because yeah. I think a couple four, a couple phase four movies coming for that crown. Oh, do you think so? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, it, it was interesting because I loved. Uh, I grew up on Spider Man and, and the Hulk. I thought they were the coolest ones, but mm-hmm. the Hulk always they always did them dirty with his movies. And I'm just going here. I think it was Infinity War where I go. This is kind of a Hulk movie because the entire time you can't get it up. <laughs> He can't, yeah. he can't Hulk out. Like, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. Twist. Yeah, I'd, I loved what Taika brought to the Hulk in. Uh... In, in uh, Ragnarok, Ragnarok, yeah. yeah, which is arguably one of the, one of the, the arguably the peak of those first three, uh, first three phases. Um, have you you've been watching uh, you've been watching a non MCU thing though as well? What should I put? Oh, that's right, because you need you need something a little palate cleanse in the middle of it. Yeah, nice. I just you you brought this up in a conversation the other day, and I was I was literally taken aback. I was like I gasped because I did not expect a reference to the movie The Interview. Yeah, uh, 1998 is it was Hugo Weaving who is also in the MCU, yeah. and I was like, I yeah. I want to just see this man trapped in a room for a hundred minutes. That's another yeah. little genre I enjoy, where it, oh, it's, man, it's, it's like it. you got small cast, small thing where locked in. So you got Hugo Hugo Weaving in the interview, and then Locke. I could watch those just back to back. I love it. I love it. Locke, yeah, so great. Uh, yeah, the interview is uh, Hugo Weaving's being interrogated for a crime he may or may not have uh, committed, and the entire movie you're like, "Did you do this? Yeah, did you? You, you can tell <laughs> me. Like, are, are you guilty? You are you not me. guilty? <laughs> um, just a really, really great like. Just uh, he's he's just like man, just firing off on all cylinders. Uh, I, I, I'm curious if that's the movie that because this is like right before the 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 weaving sense with. Uh, uh, the Hugo sounds the Hugo sounds sounds better, but uh, the Matrix yeah. and Lord of the Rings, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, great movie. This would have been around crazy. the time Priscilla King and Queen of the Desert, right? Because that was nineteen. Yeah, wasn't Pris- Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, wonderful. What's what's the movies. what's the one I'm thinking of? There's the one that um, Sean Connery did. It's like it's the Assault or something. So people are gonna jump in the comments and let me know. Um, but it's it's the one that he did where it's it's a similar interrogation premise where he's interrogating a guy who may or may not have done it, and it's just Ooh. Sean Connery and this dude trapped in a room with each other. Um, oh, it's really, it. it's oh. really great. Is it Zardoz? It it is not. No. It is, is not. He, is in he fact, wearing the Zardoz costume? Is it not that? <laughs> that would be kind of amazing. It's definitely not. I'd love to be trapped in that room. The Hunt for Red October. Yeah, what a movie. Uh, Darren, what have you? You uh, were the one of us who watched something most recently because you uh, just got out of a screening before this of uh, John Wick Four. Yeah, what'd you think? I had a good time with it. I had a good time with it. I would say so. Like, I mean, again, I love John Wick. I love John Wick Chapter Two. I like Parabellum, and I do think that Parabellum is kind of a problem with John Wick Chapter Four, where no spoilers for any of the John Wick movies. 
it's a dude and he killed people. Um, but the yeah. idea is that, like, there's at least, I know, shock horror, but there is this idea that, you know, there's some sense of progress for the character at the end of one and the end of two. He's in a different place than when he started the film in question. I think Parabellum, for me, suffers because he ends up pretty much exactly where he started. And I think, like, one of the big issues with Chapter 4 is that its first 45 minutes to an hour have to do both setting up its own story and also cleaning up and resetting after Parabellum. But once it gets into gear, it, it's really, really good. It's it's really strange to watch a movie that is an action movie that is, like, two hours and 49 minutes long, uh, which is, frankly, obscene. But to come out of it and go, the last hour of that is maybe the best action filmmaking I've seen in quite a while. Um, so once it gets going, it's great fun, but it is, I think, a bit of a, an uphill kind of battle to get to the point where it does start. Do you recommend doing a rewatch beforehand of the three? I mean, I, I think like just in general, I think they're good movies. They're highly yeah. enjoyable action movies. Um, so I would certainly recommend that. I don't think there's any lore. Like, I don't think it's particularly heavy <laughs> on the lore. They don't bring back like they don't bring back an obscene amount of like cameos from previous movies. In mm -hmm. fact, you're told that several characters have like died off screen. Some characters are just not mentioned at all, for example, um, whether because of actor availability or just because of like comedians. They introduce a new cast um, and that works really well. Like Donnie Yen is in this and he yes. is phenomenal like it is a phenomenal it's a phenomenal action performance because of course it is because donnie yen is donnie yen um but it's a really clever character and he's used really well and yen is incredibly charismatic as well it's it's really really great um and i think like that's where the movie really excels it takes a little while to set everything up but once you get to the point where you can have these characters playing off one another and interacting with one another um, it just works and it hums and it goes. And like the climax of this movie, without getting into spoilers, is again, like like the John Wick, like all the previous John Wick movies, the production team have an astonishing taste. Again, there's that joke we talked about artists earlier in this discussion, that idea that is it what great art, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that like the John Wick franchise comes from people who are unashamed to steal from things that have worked in previous franchises and will own up to that as well, where the climax of this is like the Warriors meets Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, and it's it's glorious. Like it, it's such, such a delight. I love it. Um, that comes out this weekend. The is last one. It is indeed. Well, I, that you know, they've said I think publicly that they don't plan on making another one for another couple of years at the very least. Um, so I would TV say I, show the Continental. There is the ballerina. I don't think the con there's the ballerina is the movie that's coming with Anna de Armas, and I think Keanu Reeves has, has commented that he will cameo in that. Okay, and I think there there is uh, the Continental maybe on hold because of course of the tragic passing of Lance Reddick. Lance Reddick. Uh, yeah, Reddick. yeah, um, Which, yeah. Yeah, I mean we didn't uh, we touched on that on a couple podcasts uh, after it happened, but uh, that was that was devastating. Yeah, I mean, again, he's one of those guys who just like you see him in a movie and you trust him, like even when yeah. you probably shouldn't, even when it's like Resident Evil on Netflix. But you see this guy, you see Lance Reddick and you're like, this is a man who takes his craft seriously, who like never seems to steal scenes. He's happy to just be a performer who is generous and who like wants to guide you as an audience member into the film, who wants you to feel comfortable, like his work on The Wire where I like his character never really got like a big arc, but you were like, every time we spend time with this guy, I love yeah. it so much, you know? Yeah. Incredible. Um, yeah. And even like he's 
amazing in amazing things and he's amazing in bad things like yes. he is he is the the brightest spot of that resident evil series um which was a pretty bad series but what he does portraying two versions of albert wesker um which is a name that resident evil fans will will know um it's 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 just really impressive uh and and yeah an incredible filmography incredible tv work and incredible comedy work on the eric andre show uh and uh 60, 60 oh i saw that clip you know. that clip is amazing that eric he's, andre clip yeah um absolutely hilarious so he's he's a uh just an incredibly he was an incredibly gifted actor and uh yeah 60 is 60 is far too young so yeah yeah. Uh, and we very, we should shout out like the supporting cast here includes like Hiroki Sanada who is like amazing in everything he does yeah, even when yeah. the work doesn't necessarily deserve it like we that Mortal Kombat movie where it's like why isn't this a Scorpion movie like that's the big note I have coming out of the Mortal Kombat movie he did yeah and like Scott Adkins um who like he's wearing he's wearing prosthesis um and he's very much playing a character he's doing Colin Farrell in the Batman but what if Colin Farrell was Scott Adkins um uh, i love all that i i know i'm like i have no notes i i did not like there was a moment like that was in a room full of critics who were normally quite dignified and normally quite reserved and that game of poker where it's like is somebody going to tell you what they think of it before you get to read the review there was yeah. a moment where like there's a moment with scott atkins where the room just burst into spontaneous relief laughter and applause um, uh, I love at just the uh, at the audacity of what they were doing with that character and that actor. I love, love it. To be there. Just um, dignified critics going, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> I say, <laughs> throw, throwing sodas at the screen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, incredible. Uh, have you? Uh, did you get a chance to watch anything else? Any new, any new movies? Or- uh, yeah, so I mean, um, so last week I got to see, obviously, um, I reviewed it for the site. It's all Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to talk about that movie. We can talk about it because I know you saw it as well. Um, yeah, I know you saw we Scream 6. I there's a man who's excited to talk about I enjoyed Scream 6 more. Um, I, I agree with almost every sentence of your uh, your wonderful Scream 6 review that um, you you wrote and, and Jack edited. Uh, it is it is a movie that it is shocking for how violent the movie is, how bloodless it is. And that's the point you brought up uh, in a series that has generally not been too afraid of killing its darlings. Uh, the movie is shockingly terrified of killing its <laughs> darlings uh, and and sort of upending anything. And uh, yeah, I, I I'm still I'm still a big fan of the Scream franchise. Like I don't dislike any of them. I find them almost like comfort food movies. Um, I, I think it's tough for them to reach the high of the original trilogy. But um, yeah, it's interesting the the change from Wes Craven to Radio Silence like Wes Craven seems to understand the the tension and the cat and mouse uh and is more adept at that sort of terror whereas the Radio Silence guys are like gnarly kills like yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of parts of this movie where I'm like Jesus this is gnarly yeah. and then a character I, walks away from it and I'm like you got stabbed a lot <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's it like there's a there's a moment where like a character like is cradling their intestines while crawling across a ladder and you're like like sure this is gnarly but there's also a point where you break my suspension of disbelief yeah, in terms yeah. of your ability to survive a stabbing um yeah. Like, part of me is waiting for the moment in, like, the Scream 2 where Omar Epps stumbles into the room with the knife sticking out of his head going, it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's fine. It's fine. We, we, could finish the, we could finish the premiere. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, so it's it's uh, and and the theater I went was was like uh, for its second week was much louder, much rowdier than uh, my Shazam too, which was great. That's that's how a, a screen yeah. movie is meant to be seen in my mind. Um, so enjoyed it. If you if you like the other ones, this is worth uh, checking out either in theaters or waiting. It's probably gonna be on. What was it Paramount Plus? I think we're all on. Yeah, Paramount. It'll be US, on. Yeah. It'll be on Paramount Plus in the US, but it'll probably go to video on demand first. Again, Paramount yeah. are a studio that understand you make money the traditional way. So they're not get the forty-five days, and then yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll yeah. be like it'll probably be like thirty days, and then straight to PVO, PVOD. Yeah, to so like, yeah, yeah. You can buy it on Vudu on Am- you know on Amazon on Google whatever. Yeah, and then yeah. and then and then like fifteen days later, two weeks later, it'll appear on Paramount Plus. It's yeah. not quite the Disney thing where it's like no same day, baby, because we need that <laughs> subscription money. What are we doing? Oh no, people are going to see our movies. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then uh, Shazam. Yeah, I don't know if if it was the uh, <laughs> if it was the knowing that the end is in sight for this whole thing and or or what. But um, as someone who really enjoyed, I, I enjoyed the first Shazam. Um, and I have no love for the, I, have, I have no attachment to that character whatsoever. I never never read any of those comics. Um, I really enjoyed the first one. Uh, this one felt. Um, the the stakes felt so uh unearned and 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 loosey-goosey and uh i just i didn't i didn't care about what was happening um there were some side characters that i really liked but the camera but we rarely got to spend time with them and focus on them uh i mean ultimately like shitty way to describe it but this movie feels very forgettable to me this feels like a movie that i will have like erased a lot of it from my memory six months from now and i'll be like oh yeah i did see shazam 2 opening weekend yeah that's right um kind what, what of suffers because it everything is a cliche like it's it's yeah. it, and again this feels like a really crappy way to talk about it because i know like i know sandberg has said i'm going back to horror and i know i know yeah. he said i'm tired of superhero movies but it's obvious that he cared a great deal about the first one and i suspect he cared a great deal about this one and there's obviously a great deal of affection in there and all that sort of stuff so i'm not denigrating his work ethic or his work aesthetic or anything like that but it does feel a little bit like this was the like collection of familiar superhero tropes in a blender where it you know you're literally doing things like the second act reveal where a villain wants to be caught so they can Mm -hmm. escape and enact their evil plan like it like it's 2008 to 2012 like it's like it's you know the skyfall the dark night and fucking what was the other one it's like star trek into darkness all that sort of stuff Um, uh loki arguably in the avengers as well to go back to that one (laughs) yeah (laughs) I understood that reference, uh. um, but you you have things like, again, the idea of a mythical world imposing itself on our own, like the end of like Man of Steel, Wonder Woman or Zack Snyder's Justice League. You have things like, again, the, the idea without getting too heavy into spoilers, a sacrifice at the end, which is presented as kind of a big deal, but is immediately reversed with no stakes whatsoever in a yeah. sequence that plays directly like the end of Star Trek Into Darkness, right down to like shot composition and like the pressing of hand against a translucent surface as two characters try to connect and one of them realizes they're trapped in a situation they're not going to escape it just it felt like it was a bunch of stuff that had been done much better elsewhere countless times before and there was nothing really original or interesting or like fun about it like that that's it the first one i have my issues with i like it a bit less than most I think like the climax of the first one is the first time I felt tired during a superhero movie, which is probably unfair. Never? Like it, that's yeah, like that's that's unfair. Even Ghost Rider, even Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. I will, but no, like, I will die on that hill. <laughs> but I again, this is the thing where we talked it earlier, where it feels like it's unfair. Shazam is shouldering this burden. Mm-hmm. 
where it's like a cumulative thing and Shazam just happens to be the straw on the camel's back or the camel yeah. under the weight of the straw. But like that first one came out, I think, a couple of weeks before Avengers Endgame, right? So mm-hmm. you're at peak superhero um, kind of season. And I remember loving the second act of that movie, which is just big with superheroes. I think it's tremendous and enjoyable and great fun. Then you get to the finale. Like all of the emotional arcs in that movie are wrapped up with 40 minutes left. And it continues for 40 minutes. And then not only does it continue for 40 minutes, but all of a sudden everybody is a superhero. And not just like your designated like sidekick character, Freddy. All of the other kids who have literally one personality trait each in order to distinguish them from one another are suddenly superheroes who are partaking in this gigantic battle. And it's like, why do I care about any of this? Why am I emotionally invested in any of this? And it continues for like 40 minutes. And I think like when I was watching the first Shazam, that was the moment where in my brain I was just like, you know what? I think maybe we've had enough of this type of superhero movie. Um, And it like, again, it's bad that... it's unfortunate that Shazam is the one that bears that burden. And I yeah. wonder, like, if it feels weird that culturally it seems like the same thing's happening with Shazam Fury of the Gods, where it's like, all this stuff is fairly standard for modern superhero films. Like, critics have been saying it about films like Shang-Chi um, and saying it about things like Thor Love and Thunder and saying it about things like My Beloved Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. But it feels unfortunate that the one where it seems like gravity actually caught up to the to like the franchise is this one or to the genre is this one um it just it seems like it was just russian roulette and this is the one that picked up the gun at the wrong moment you know yeah that's a that's actually a good way to put it um yeah that's a very cheerful metaphor apologies no 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 but it's 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 pretty spot on i was a little uh i think i was a little warmer on or at least the third act of the first movie didn't knock like didn't topple the whole entire jenga tower for me uh like it did with you even though it is kind of ridiculous that you spent so much time growing attached to this one character and now they're like well now you have a whole team of them i'm like well i didn't want a whole team of them i just wanted just just, just like <laughs> keep me with the one i've become invested in what's that bit from like the suicide squad where it's like he does what i do and yeah. except this time there's seven of them <laughs> yeah yeah they all kind of look the same they're just different colors just like a different color yeah. power rangers um yeah are you supposed yeah, to take these each individually and not as a whole i feel like that's that's the issue is the issue with made for fans is that each fandom will get their own turn right but if it's yeah. all yeah. taken as a whole the further you, you go, as you said, you're just playing with the gun Diminishing now. returns. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's like, oh, yeah. I've never seen Shazam. I was like, oh, I love that thing when it's just a big mashup of superheroes. But if you only watch one thing, you won't. You can't get fatigued yeah. from it, right? Yeah. If, yeah. if you're waiting for Shazam, if you're like, I'm not going to see Guardians. I'm not going to see Captain Marvel. Yeah, no. I'm not going to see Suicide Squad. I'm going to wait for Shazam's turn. Are you su- yeah. Are you supposed to do it in that, in that fashion? Maybe. Maybe, but yeah. like, how many people are waiting for Shazam, the character formerly known as Captain Marvel? I don't. I, but there's first off too many Captain Marvels. We got yeah. someone's got to change. Someone, I mean, someone literally did change their name, but like we yeah. gotta have no one should be able to use this. Only the the fabulous or the marvelous Captain Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> Marty sitting down in his typewriter saying, "Please eliminate one." Yeah, I am not a crank. <laughs> I am not a crank. Um. Yeah, so it sounds like, uh, well, it sounds like the if you're going to see a movie in the theaters this weekend, maybe maybe John Wick should be the movie. John Wick, John Wick. Or if you haven't seen Creed, see Creed 3, for example. Avatar 2. Um, that's also, 
still, it's still in cinemas somewhere, apparently. It is. It's still, yeah, it's, it's still, there's still like one sad theater in the corner <laughs> that like might be filled with ghosts, but it's still there. What, what happens if it closes like within like, you know, $15 of Endgame and Marty's like, damn it. <laughs> what if like it's box office total is like within $15 of Endgame and it's like it could have been the could second highest you can only movie. have one yeah. last movie you see before you die and I've already chosen mine so uh, I, that's my, I made my Pandoran bed Mar- Marty packing to go on holiday and his wife is yeah. wondering why are you always packing James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water and it's still in cling film wrap I was about to say I have it like in a, on a UMD disc for my PSP I'm like no this will be the thing this is charged it's got four hours of battery life I'll be fine Reminded yeah. me of uh, I'll see, I'll see it. Dustin Hoffman was like, I bought as many shoes to last me my entire life these are my last pair <laughs> exactly exactly uh, that's where I'm at with Avatar um, that's I think that's about it for for stuff I've been watching. I caught the first episode of Swarm. Did you get a chance to watch that, Darren? Do you know what that is? No, that's the Donald yeah. Glover um Amazon thing, right? Yeah, yeah, Donald Glover Amazon show about um sort of a, uh, a centered around fandom of a um kind of like a Beyonce esque uh, pop star icon, uh, and it slowly kind of devolves into psychological horror and and a, a, a murder and someone trying to get away with with murders. Um, I only watched the first episode. Uh, Donald Glover, uh, I believe, wrote and directed the first episode. Um, it was fine. Uh, it didn't jump off the screen to me in the same way that um, Atlanta, Atlanta did. Is. Yeah, right from the get go. Um, I'm curious to watch more they, they dropped all eight episodes at once and uh, i believe it's not yeah i think this is a limited series i don't think they're planning it to be a uh a, a multi-season show so that's that was one thing that I've, i'm like oh okay i think it has a built-in ending this sounds nice uh and uh, the sad model as we call it exactly um, exactly uh and i know uh, people have said that uh uh people have raved uh, later on the season billy eilish is in it and apparently she's great in it so i'm kind of curious to, to see that um so uh yeah i don't i don't have too much to say about it. i'll probably have a lot more to say about it next well not next week we're not doing a show next week but the following week um when i come back i'll probably have finished it by then uh that being said going forward oh sorry were you saying something i was gonna say also i saw yellow jackets i've seen the second season of yellow jackets it's very good oh. unsurprisingly um, oh great oh yeah, that's awesome I'm, I'm really excited for that it's very, very good. Um, again, it has that thing that second seasons have where it gets bigger and more sprawling and the cast get more spread out. So I do mm-hmm. kind of wonder if like I've seen six of the first 10. So I, I kind of it, it will all depend on how the plane lands, so to speak, where they bring the various plot threads together. But the opening half of the season is very good. You get a lot more with these characters. The actors are still fantastic. They bring in new performers like Elijah Wood, who is phenomenal um, as a kind of citizen detective as well. They do some very interesting things with Lottie. Um, I'm not obviously not going to go into deaths because that's spoiler related, but it has been announced. They did cast a present day Lottie. Um, and I think they take the character in very interesting directions. Again, just just good fun. It's it's nice to hang yeah. out with those actors for an hour a week. Um, I that was and, one of my uh, that was one of my nicest surprises of a show that was not on my radar. And then yeah. it got a couple episodes in, in, and people are like, "This is pretty good." And I watched. It. I was like, "Oh man, this is incredibly enjoyable." People are right. This is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that comes out this weekend, I believe. It, it does. It's the- launch. It's launching the same night. I think as Succession. I believe. Um, oh man man that'll be cool. oh we got we got, there's a lot of weekly shows yeah 
Weekly te- television, it's good, question mark. Like, you know, like oh the mo- movies, movies have taken April off. It's just like, no, April belongs to television. It's like yeah. Super Mario Brothers, and then it's just quiet up until Guardians at the start of May. I am so excited for Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> uh, Marty's movie of the year. I mean, it's it's very possible. Move over, Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, Scorsese. Mario. No here. can do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, yeah, I, I mentioned it before, but uh, we'll be taking uh, next week off. Uh, Nick and I will be in uh, Milwaukee uh, with the, the crew who's filming Adventurous Night. And then, Darren, you're, you're not going to be on for a while because you're going to be on holiday after that. So we I, probably won't see you until um, the end of April, beginning of May. Probably start of May. I'm back on like the 27th of April, so I'll probably be for the first one in May. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. And then we'll we'll be able to see what you've caught up on. But the show won't be, be taking the hiatus. Uh, we'll be uh, we'll be taking uh, next week off. But then um, you know Frost will be popping on. We'll have Jamaid on. What are we watching? We'll, we'll be, <laughs> Give me a list. Uh, I don't. It's, it's two weeks away. <laughs> it's, there's there's never a list. Give I don't know. Homework. You come on and talk about talk, just talk about where you're at in Phase Four. Well, You'll what probably your Kenneth Branagh rewatch. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to know what you make of. Is it the Ginger Man? Is that the one? Ginger the Gingerbread Man. man. The Gingerbread Man, the John Gresham one. Oh my! Is it Robert Altman directed it, starring Kenneth Branagh? If I remember correctly, I think that's what performance where Branagh really goes for it. Darren says, as if Branagh ever gives a performance where he doesn't really go for it. I was about to say. Where it's like, yeah, Tenet, where he's like, Christopher, I was thinking I could do a very subdued Russian accent and maybe talk about how I would like to put a man's testicles inside his throats while he drowns in them. And it's like, go for it, Kenneth, go for it. This movie, I've never even heard of it. Hey, never Robert Downey Tenet? Jr., Daryl Hannah, Tom Berenger, yeah. oh, Robert yeah. Duvall. Yeah, it's a very, it's the possibly the most nineties movie if I remember. I correctly. will have to swing back around because it was uh, who plays Hop again in Stranger Things? I'm bad with names. Uh, oh, um, uh, what's his face? David Harbor. Yeah, David Harbor. I was watching Hot Ones during an interview. They were asking how is it that you get back into Shakespeare for people who don't love Shakespeare. He says Kenneth Branagh, all of yeah. his Shakespeare work. Oh. So I've I've gone. Through Kenneth Branagh's back half, and I'm going through his front end. That sounds strange out of context, but it sounds very strange. Return to yeah. Shakespeare. I, I definitely started like visualizing. I'm like, what? what? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, well, so, like his Hamlet is amazing. His Hamlet is phenomenal. I love yeah. his Hamlet. Uh, um, that's Henry Darren's fifth boring fifth. Shakespeare recommendation. Is Henry the Fifth as well? Great. Yes. Um, uh, Kenneth Branagh. Am I? Kenneth Branagh, colon, he's good. Am I losing my mind? I swear you put Jude Law on this thing, did you not? Me? Did you not have Jude Law? Oh, Jude Law's in the Star Wars. He's in the Star Wars thing. Oh. I mentioned Jude Law. He oh, is, okay. He's one of the stars of Skeleton Crew. Yeah. I, I, I love, by the way, that like Marty just has a bullet point for Jude Law. It's just like whenever Jude Law is in something, he immediately gets a bullet point. Like, Where is it? There's going to be an entire conversation point. Well, there's a problem, you see, because within the last... They, ha- they do this thing with Jude Law where if he has a tan, he's the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> like a very deep tan. I don't know why, but he's it's in. Um, what if that's in his contract? Like the same way, like a villain can't use an Apple product. So, like, <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe that's just it. Yeah, I don't know. It, it just stands out remarkably so because he's so English, right? Mm-hmm. But whenever he has a tan, he's the bad guy. So I was like, I hope they uh, keep that in mind. <laughs> so can we expect a Jude Law retrospective in two weeks? Maybe. <laughs> if it, what was we'll like, you meant- his tan here. 
you mentioned watching the Marvel movies. One of my favorite details is like Sam Rockwell in Iron Man 2 deciding that his character would have bad fake tan where like he would pay for his hands would get progressively whiter. So he'd obviously have a lot of fake tan here, but as they go down to the fingers and on the other side, they're entirely pale. Yeah. Just when we're talking. So it's not just Jude Law who's, who's evil and tanned. Yeah. Listen, I like I like both. I like the energy both those actors bring. So listen, put them together. Put- yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Hey, they can be in the MCU. He played Marvel, right? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yon, I, yeah. Rog, isn't it? Yon I could Rog? always yeah, do with I more. I don't know who any of those people are. I could always <laughs> do with more Jude Law, but that, he's a walking spoiler. He's becoming the new Sean Bean. Listen, his character doesn't have a Marvel snap card yet, so I don't need to learn his name. If you want me to learn who that character is, give him a Marvel snap card. Let it go. Marvel. He's Yan Rog. He's the original Captain Marvel villain, if I remember correctly. Oh. Being is very that boring. not Marvel? Marvel, no, Marvel is, is yeah. Marvel is, is the original Captain Marvel. Yeah, oh, Marvel cool. and Yanrog went to Earth, and like Yanrog was like, we should like totally invade this place. And Marvel's like, I don't know. Invading seems kind of evil. And Yanrog's like, I don't know. Sounds pretty cool. I'm I'm picturing them as like Peabody and Sherman. <laughs> yeah, just like that. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. That was your deep dive into Marvel and and, y- and Yacht Rock. What was his name? Yan Rock. Oh, yeah, Yacht Rock. I like. Yacht yeah. yeah, Rock is his cousin who's very into ska. Um, <laughs> exactly. Like Joe Biden getting off his plane. Uh, Frost. Where can where can folks find you? What should folks check out? I see here. We've got a new cold take for early access. So if you are a Ooh. Patreon member, go have a look at that. For the rest of you, you get to chew on the the stale one that's already out. That's uh. The art of making. Can you let us know characters. what the topic of the new one is? New one. Uh, fuck me, dude. I'm bad with. What was it? It's the the. Uh, 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 are we at a new new? Oh, age that of one. Yeah, yeah. I get to go on a nice little ramble where I think that we are. We are at a, at a turning point. We're somewhere in a more in a gaming age that will define us. We'll be able to look back on it, but I'm ahead of the trend and screaming now with my pot helmet. <laughs> And your your several copies of MCU movies. Yes, I I can see into the future. (laughs) By looking several years into the past. Uh, perfect. And then, uh, yeah, you'll be, uh, you'll be popping on, uh, some, some streams and whatnot. We're figuring out what the streaming schedule for the rest of, uh, the, the week slash next couple weeks are going to be with a lot of folks being out, but, um, we're, we're sorting that out soon. So you'll see plenty of frost then. Uh, Darren, what about you? stupid people attending cool conferences and doing journalism um but yes uh, you can find me at darren underscore mooney on twitter come yell at me about stuff um obviously i'm also writing at the site so i think yesterday i did an article on john wick and how the john wick series is a love letter to an argument for the artistic merit of stunt work uh, tomorrow i'll be doing an article uh, that basically i managed to sneak past the fact that nick's on vacation succession and how succession is about hierarchies of power uh, which i'm Beautiful. thrilled to do uh, Friday, I'm probably going to write about John Wick Chapter 4. I have some ideas. We'll work some of that stuff out. And if you are a patron, early access subscriber, uh, the current uh, In the Frame video is online, uh, edited by the fantastic Jesse Schwab. Um, first time working with him. Uh, really looking forward to a long creative partnership. But we looked at violence uh, in The Last of Us, in particular how mm-hmm. The Last of Us treats violence. We talked about it on this podcast before, but we just kind of wanted to get a sense of like, actually using the images and illustrating the way in which it uses things like editing, framing, cinematography to portray acts of violence and what that says about what the show is saying you have violence as well. I I think it's a very good video, I say, not at all modestly, um, but I do. I think it's well worth a look. If you're if you enjoyed The Last of Us um, and you want to get 
a, a kind of a deeper dive into it. Uh, at the very least, uh, Jesse's jokes are very, very funny. Uh, if you're not, as, as Frost pointed out, you can see the last video, which was about is phase four, the MCU's mm. midlife crisis. Um, that is yeah. available on YouTube now and can check that one out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, that after the last of us video uh, in the frame videos, we'll be taking a break while Darren is uh, on holiday. Those will return uh, in May though. So uh don't don't fret but darren will have plenty Pardon of stuff me. he's he's already got plenty of stuff banked that we'll be publishing uh throughout the month of april so don't worry you'll have you'll have plenty of uh plenty of words to read from darren throughout april do you wonder if we could, like hire a chat gpt to write an in the frame video for me and just see what happens it just gets I realize, views I, and you're like oh no oh <laughs> yeah, no i've angered even I, more I, producers I, of star I, trek I, shows may- I've made myself even more redundant. It's like, oh, Darren, we were like, no. hey. <laughs> oh, we're like, uh, Christopher Nolan's people reached out to us and they were not happy. Yeah. It's like, he never even confirmed that he read that book I sent him. And it's like, it's like, oh, he's super fucking pissed. Um, I mean, uh, Christopher, Christopher Nolan's wall of silence is quite impressive. I can tell you that much. I, I, I'd, love, I'd love to take on that bot. It's like me versus a, a, an AI bot trying to write like Darren. I was gonna say, what if you like? Can you write a better cold take than than an AI Frost Frost GP? Oh fuck me! I don't know. Does it have <laughs> enough to go on yet? I've only done ten. <laughs> we just uh, fed all of them in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll just feed it a bunch of like Humphrey Bogart movies. And, oh, no. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, so thank you guys so much uh, for joining me. Uh, as always, uh, no more streams today, but we'll be back tomorrow with uh, with with breakout and with get Jesse to the Greek uh, in the evening, possibly some day streams uh, throughout the week. But uh, TBD, so tune in for that. Uh, so thank you so much uh, for us. Thank you so much, Darren. Uh, thank you all so much for everyone watching. Uh, thank you to everyone who's the member, who's uh, a sub subscriber over on Twitch. Uh, thank you to our patrons, and thank you to everyone who contributed to the conversation in the chat. We had a lovely time with you all. Uh, so for Frost and Darren, this was Marty. This was uh, the recap episode number 27. Thank you so much. And we'll see you back here on this show, not next week, but the week after. Bye.